on page 180. We have a jam-packed season finale as Tom Potter and I look at our top 10 movies of the year. I review the show's first year and look at the future of page 180. It's really Christmas as Kendo was on hand to preview the World Arts Championship. Plus, I'm going to review Wonka. All that and more still to come. You're very welcome to another edition of page 180. And guys, it's the last show of 2023, the season finale of season one of page 180. And anyone who may have listened to me for a, a long time in podcast with the likes of low blows and so on uh, may know that at the end of the year, I kind of do an audit of the podcast and I kind of ask, you know, what worked and what didn't, where are there opportunities to grow? Uh, you know, is the podcast still what I want it to be? And so on and so forth. And I'll ask all those kind of questions. And with low blows, obviously, I would have done it when I was working with Katie and Keen um, and so on. Uh, whereas now, while I have a rotating series of guests and so on, essentially for a large part of the podcast, it is me and you. Uh, dear listener or viewer, however you decide to consume the show. So I decided to have a look into the podcast and how things have gone. Some of the opportunities that are there uh, for improvement, some of the things that I feel we got right and some of the feel things that I feel could have been a little bit better or could be improved upon. And also while we're at it, a thing I'll always ask myself at the end of every year is, all right, did we do it? Like, is that what I was looking for out of the podcast? And do we continue? Because I think it's healthy to always kind of reevaluate those decisions. And at least then, if you are continuing, then you come back from a standpoint of, uh, you know, I want to do this and I've committed to this. But if you're not continuing, you kind of, you, you've made a conscious decision and you've given yourself a chance to evaluate things as well. So I'll kind of get to that question as we go on. But first, let's look into the podcast in the year that was. And I have a few different areas that I want to kind of look at in terms of guests and kind of the people that have been on with myself to kind of cover the various topics we've covered. Obviously we started with the last of us Mandalorian succession. Uh, Kento was going to be on later. He's been talking sports with me all year. We've talked about Ahsoka, uh, so much Marvel throughout. We've had guardians uh, across the spider verse. Uh, and, and, and again, we've had amazing guests on to discuss Katie and Keen have obviously been back on to discuss wrestling. We've had Jerry for star Wars, Dan for Marvel. Um, and then we've had people like uh, Tom pot every time, like, he came on to discuss Barbenheimer and of course discuss Succession and Ted Lasso with me um, and then we've had people like Luke Barry on as well who just was appeared for one and uh, there's people like Kev Keane who was on last week who joined us for The Last of Us and is someone that I've really wanted to get back on because I really enjoy our conversations I'm very happy with the guests we have um, and I'm looking forward to further conversations private or otherwise with them because I think we've discovered kind of and intensified shared passions that we have. Uh, and that's kind of what I wanted from this show. Uh, because again, I, I have so much to say about, you know, the TV, the movie, the sports that I love. Uh, and I want to share that with friends and I want to create a, an opportunity to do so. So that for me, in terms of the people we've had and the contributions they've given, I'm happy with everyone. And I want to thank everyone for their contributions. Uh, and, and, and what I like about it as well is, I could have easily started a podcast and I could have picked one of them and I could have said, here, do you want to like just agree to watch the same TV shows and movies and we'll review them every week. I've done that before and there's nothing wrong with that and I've had success and enjoyed doing that. But I really like the aspect of rolling guests and different topics. I think that gives the show 
a vibrancy and a freshness every single week. You're getting a different type of episodes. You know that when there's a Star Wars series coming up, it's like, oh, we're going to get into the Star Wars show. And it feels like a different show every time, depending on who the guest is. But you're also familiar with the guests and you know them. And we have our own individual run of jokes. So I like that aspect of it. And I definitely do want to maintain that. I think where there's opportunities, and I don't know if there's anything that I can necessarily do in the meantime, because I don't want this to be something that I just do for the sake of it. But I think there's opportunities to diversify in terms of the guests, get different types of guests on, get guests from different backgrounds and so on. Um, I'm a big believer in you know, diversity in general and the benefits that that brings, both whether it's a business sense where in my day job and so on, I like working in diverse teams where people come from different backgrounds or different ages or different genders, and they all bring different ideas and experiences to the table. And as a result, you get a melting pot where you get an amazing end product because you're taking a lot of people's considerations into account. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's great to have like the people that we have and they're experts in their area. And we kind of make sure of that before they come on and talk about it. Cause they wouldn't want to come on and talk about it if they felt they didn't know enough or couldn't contribute. But I think as well, we could diversify a little better. Um, and that's something I want to be on the lookout for. Now that doesn't mean that the first episode of season two, if we do decide to go for a season two, I'm going to come on and all of a sudden, like I'm just talking to like a, a black lesbian, for example. And it seems very tokenistic. And like, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I feel you have to have chemistry and a shared connection. And there has to be a, a reason to uh, talk to people around that. Um, so it will be something that I, want to happen and intend to happen and the wheels will spin in my head about how I could make that happen um but again I don't want to turn around and say uh you know I don't want to do it for the sake of it no one wants to be a token anyway uh but I just feel that you know <laughs> we don't need to always have like a bunch of white guys around the same age as me who I know largely from pro wrestling <laughs> you know what I mean I don't think that I think we keep those people but we add new people and we add, and if we add new people, we add them from different backgrounds. Again, not something I have an instant solution for, but something that is, I'm conscious of and I want to uh, improve uh, if I do indeed decide to continue. Um, I think as well, there's opportunities in social media. It's been interesting and I've loved this project I've, because with Low Blows, we kind of had a podcast that hit very early and we built our own solid cult following of listeners uh, and, and we kind of knew the show very quickly and so on. So to kind of get away from that, and I know we've kept a lot of low blows listeners and love you guys who followed me over and stayed with me all through this time. Um, and like, that's been great, um, but it's been great to start again from scratch because I'm interested in this stuff. I'm like, what builds up? What works? I've never done TikTok before until this year. How do you do TikTok? And I feel that, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons in there and I haven't done everything perfectly there. Particularly, like, I, I don't want to ever feel like I'm spamming people or annoying people and putting up loads and loads and loads of videos or stories and stuff like that. So I feel there's opportunities to improve there. The problem is as well, though, like, I do cover loads of topics on each individual show. And that's something that I want to address too. And and I kind of want to make all of, like, again, I'm very happy for people to consume the podcast as the way it is. This isn't a commercial venture for me. This is a hobby. This is something which 
I want to uh, do it the, the the right way rather than the way to get the most clicks or to try and get advertisers and stuff like that. If that stuff happened, amazing, and I'd love it. If this ended up being my full-time job, I'd, I'd be absolutely over the moon. But again, I'm, I'm realistic about it, and I want to enjoy this as a hobby first and foremost. Uh, and sometimes you can push things too hard, and then you stop enjoying it uh, if you do try to be too ambitious with something. So I want people to consume it however they want, whether you watch it on YouTube, whether you listen to the whole show every week on Spotify, where you just listen to bits of the show that are actually relevant uh, to you on Spotify, or, or or if you just watch clips on TikTok whenever they show up in your feed, and that's how you follow us and so on and so forth. Um, I want to be as convenient as I can be for everyone, because I believe that's just, again, how people follow you and build loyalty. I don't want to kind of take aspects of the show away from people. So... I think that's something that I want to look at. And I think that's something where there's improvements and opportunities there. Uh, it's something that I love doing. I work in social media as part of my day job. Um, so, you know, it is something that I have a passion for and I want to get better at, but I don't want to be the type of person who just does things. Like I don't want to, I don't want to do dances on TikTok just to get more clicks and subscribers. You know what I mean? I don't want to just do things because they're trending or cool. Um, I don't want to, plan to go viral i don't think that's how it happens to begin with but i don't want to be i don't want to be an influencer i don't care about that stuff so i want to do it right in a way that connects with people and draws people towards the show but when it draws them towards the show they feel like they're actually getting the show they're advertised so that's something that i feel there are improvements on again don't necessarily have solutions but i want you to know that i'm conscious of it if it's something you've ever thought that kind of gets me on to the next segment which is content and of course, I'm going to come out and say, I love all the content that are, that's on this show because it's my interest. That's the purpose of the show. It's the things I'm interested in and want to talk to my friends about. That's the nature of page 180. But can I say 100% that the content side of it has worked or is working? No. And that's nobody's fault. It's not because the conversations with the guests aren't interesting enough. I love that side of it. And I've spoken about that. And again, that's just not me paying lip service to the people that have helped me out over the past year and joined me for those conversations and put work in themselves and, and, and made time accommodations to be able to do so. That's genuine. I love what we do. I think we bring something original here. I think with me, for example, when I'm doing reviews or research or discussing for a show, I try not to get a sense of what everyone is saying beforehand. So I won't read reviews of movies that I'm about to review before I review it because I want what I say to be real. I want it to be not influenced by other people's reviews. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Like that's just part of it. And these are my interests. So I'm going to see things that are in the discourse as it goes on. But I want to minimize that to make it original. I think particularly with the conversations I've had with people, I think that's been what's worked and the original kind of ideas and theories and jokes and stuff like that. And that means why would you listen to this podcast if I was just copying other podcasts and just saying what they were, the same things they were saying about the show. I think we've hit on that. But in terms of the content and the format, like look at today's show, for example, okay? We're going to talk about darts. We're going to talk about the Wonka movie and we're going to talk about the best movies of the year. Okay. If you're really into movies, you know, great. Like then you have a lot of show, but what if you're into movies and you're not into darts, then you have to skip some of that. Um, And for me as well, while I love stuff like this and, and I planned like if, if I, if I am to continue, I feel like I've given the game away here. Uh, <laughs> 
But if I am to continue, I want to continue to have these moments where it's just me speaking to you. I feel that's very personal and I, I enjoy doing so. And if there's stuff that I want to have a rant about or fake news or little segments like that or funny things that have crossed my mind and I'll do a little skit or whatever, I want to keep that. I don't know if I want to keep the solo reviews though because I don't know if they're easy to listen to a lot of the times, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think I put my heart and soul in them. I think I've got a lot of interesting stuff to say, but I don't know if me just talking about them by myself necessarily works and lands and, and has the desired effect. I think it there's a place for it. I think even on social media, if I was to do short mini reviews, like the 60 second reviews that I've, I've kind of tried out a few times throughout the year, I think there's a place for that. And I think people may be interested to hear what I think of it. If I make it short and condensed and kind of, you know, they just get the gist of should I watch this movie or not? Or I have watched this movie. What does Jer think of this movie? I think there's a place for it, but I don't think that it's on the podcast itself. Maybe sometimes for big movies, maybe, but not every single week. So I feel that if I was to continue, the way that I would continue would be to change the format a little bit and focus more on those conversations. But I do still want to talk about movies. So how do we solve that? Well, we're gonna have a little. Uh, we're gonna. We're gonna. I'm gonna leave you on a, a cliffhanger there because I have an idea for how I'm gonna do so. But I want to leave myself open because even like with shows like today, you can see by the running time it's jam packed, and I'm just gonna let it go as long as it's gonna go because it's the last show of the year. Again, you can spread it out over the three weeks. If you're used to getting an hour of me every week, and this is three hours, I don't know how long it's gonna be. I'm just recording it. Um, you can get an hour of me each week and and ration yourself if it's too much to listen to in one go, and that's fair. But I want to focus more on like with shows like today. Like I have to cut down on some of the conversation. Like I have to, with Kento, I have to turn around and be like, right, that can't be longer than 15, 20 minutes because otherwise it's going to just be a seven hour show. And if you let me talk for seven hours, I will. <laughs> so I want to let those conversations flow and have the length that they have. I'm also conscious of the time commitment that having a show this long puts on the listener. Like it's all well and good, like having a two hour conversation if something big happens because people want to hear it. Like they can't consume enough of it because it's something big. But a two hour podcast each week, I don't know if that's it. I feel like you should be open to that. Like I said, if there's something really big to talk about for a series finale or something that we're, we love and we spent weeks covering, then yeah, that's fair enough. But every week I think it's a lot. So I feel that changing it so I focused more on the conversations. And when you listen to an episode, you know what type of episode you're going to listen to. So if there's a new episode of a Star Wars show when we're doing Star Jairs, you can tune into that episode. And that is what the episode is for the, for the most part. If it's a darts conversation with Kento, you can tune into the darts conversation. But also there's another thing as well. And this is a weird thing for a podcaster to say. I'm fine if you don't listen to absolutely every episode because the content I'm discussing isn't something that you're interested in. And again, that goes against the rules of podcasting, but I'd sooner have you guys like what I do and like the fact that I'm considering you and giving you the option and saying, here, miss this one. It's not for you. It's grand. Uh, rather than to be loyal to me, asking you to have to sit through stuff that you're not listening to, that you're not interested in. So I think making it specific 
it may lead to multiple episodes per week. It may lead to one episode about the darts, one episode about the, the best movies of the year, one episode about recovering a TV episode, you know? Um, but at least then you'll know what the episode is and you can choose to listen or not listen. I love when podcasts that I love do that. Like there's some podcasts, I won't name them or name the episodes because I feel like I'm calling them out. There's some podcasts that I'm like, oh, I don't like when they cover that or that's not a show that I watch. So I get that time back. It's like in a meeting. It's like, we know when someone, if you're in a meeting and you have one of those jobs where you're on on meetings and someone's like, I'll give you 15 minutes back. You are like, you fucking legend. <laughs> and I feel that way about podcasts that discuss stuff that I'm not interested in too because I can listen to other podcasts. Or I can do other things. Or I can follow other interests and so on. And their their time commitment of me is less. And I don't think any less of them. So I think that's how I'm going to change it. If the shows are shorter and maybe more frequent as as a result, then that's great. Like I'll put out more content. And if people li- love listening to everything that I say, great. But if there's stuff that you just want to dip in and out of, great. That's fine. Do whatever you want to do. Consume this in the way you want. So that all leads to the question of, do I want to continue for a season two? And I think with all this discussion, it'd be pretty fucking weird if I said, no, this is the end of the show. These are all great ideas that I could use, but I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> so there's no surprise there. Even though this is the season one finale, I will be coming back for season two. I have some good ideas that I want to share with you as time goes on. There's going to be some room as well if I'm changing this format to just do random things. Maybe bring back old favorite shows that people might remember from before page 180 and do an extended version of those shows every now and then. Maybe introduce new ideas. Maybe it doesn't have to be about whatever's released this week or whatever's relevant to this week. Maybe it can be something that looks back at old TV shows or movies or stuff like that. It just gives me freedom, gives me options. And it doesn't ask you to listen to absolutely everything as well. If it's stuff you like, great. If it's stuff you don't, fine. Um we'll continue to churn it out in season two. So we will be back in 2024. I'm looking forward to it. Keep your eye on the socials. If you're not following me at page 180 pod on, uh, on Instagram, uh, at Jer underscore Leggett on uh, Twitter, or you can follow me on TikTok at page 180 pod as well. Uh, so keep an eye out. I will announce uh, what we're doing as we're doing it as time goes on. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's listened to any of this throughout the year, even if you've picked and choose episodes based on your interest. Thank you to everyone who's contributed this year. I'd love doing this show. This is exactly what I wanted from this show. Could it be better yet, but I've loved the process of learning and getting stuck back in and uh, building from nothing again. Uh, that's fun to me. This is my passion doing podcasts and talking about the things that I love and that I'm passionate about. So if that's entertained any of you and if I've kept you throughout the year, especially like, well, not especially if you've been old school listeners, if you're a newer listener and you just found this and you've never heard of me or any of this before, you just saw me on TikTok once. Uh, I'm happy to have all of you and, and it's an honor to to be able to do that and to talk shite in a way that I talk shite anyway for nobody who listened, but uh, to have listeners is, is something special. So thank you for listening. Anyway, guys, time to get on with the show. Uh, let's start with uh, some darts talk. It's time for it because it's really fucking Christmas. Never mind the toy show. Never mind your office Christmas party. Never mind the stress of going around the streets trying to pick up the last minute gifts or going through like, you know, Amazon or anything like that. You know, it's Christmas when the fucking darts start. And ladies and gentlemen, I cannot wait. I am buzzing. This Friday, the World Arts Championship 2024. Uh, it is going to be incredible. And one of the most competitive 
World Arts Championships we were likely to see in recent times. Or so we think, because maybe there's one person cutting ahead of the field. But you know what? I love the darts, but I'm not like an, what I consider an expert. So there was one man that I called up who would be an expert. That's nobody's surprise. It's the same person I call up anytime. It's a big story I want to discuss because he's just that damn good, ladies and gentlemen. So joining me for one last time in 2023 on page 180 is the man, the myth, the legend, uh, heading back from a Christmas party himself and just plowing through like an absolute champion at the Irish Examiner's David Kent, a.k.a. Kento. You're very welcome back to page 180. Kento, excitement levels for the darts. Are, are you feeling uh, it this year? Off the charts. It yeah. has been, like, we've had a year where, like, usually you could have a year where there's, like, okay, a lull in the middle of it or, like, oh, there's, like, it just gets wickets. There's no real kind of story throughout the year. This year, going into the world, you're looking at it going, there are so many, but even before starting, you're like, right, you got, like, the, no one can pick a favourite, no one can yeah. pick a winner confidently, and if they can, they haven't been watching darts all year. <laughs> um, you have, like, there's crowds, there's new sponsors in Paddy Power, they have everything, like, there's so many, there's more qualifiers, more international qualifiers, there's less PDPA, it's... There's just I'm 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 like again it's the one thing where it's like you call me an expert like, this is one that I will always always talk about yeah. so so much so that when I noticed that you were naming this podcast page one eighty do you remember what I said to you yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah that's podcast and then I got reality and I was like oh, oh so sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'd have definitely called you for the darts podcast because you're my you're my darts guy. Um, <laughs> like yeah, it's exciting from all throughout, and even from the get go, because usually the first round is just you might get the odd upset, but again, a lot of players you don't know, a lot of one sided matchups because you're getting essentially the seeded players playing qualifiers. But even this year, looking at the draw, it's 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 quite competitive. What are the first round highlights? What that people should keep an eye out for and make sure that they're you know sitting down for those. Yeah, it's 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 like it's like you said there. The the tournament being expanded a couple of years ago to include all these international qualifiers has made has brought the standard up. Yes, you get the the odd lad who averages about seventy or whatever, but because the qualifiers have been on the Asian tour and the uh, the Australian tour, the US the US starts matches like there's all there's a rising tide around. So you have some you do have some absolute crackers that you're like on paper if you know the players and you and you've been keeping track on them. Uh, the first the first game on the first night. Uh, Stubbs mm-hmm. against Kevin Doe. Stubbs is the North American qualifier, won the North American Championship. Was that the Grand Slam? Yes. Uh, and he was Bunce he, against Bunce. Yeah, Bunce yeah. crime. <laughs> um, and he's the American. People say he's the American Peter Wright because he he gets the hair and he's all fancy. He's like, but even even coming into this now, he's uh, he's they're like, oh, you're going to take your chance to make it a make it as a pro over here if you do well here. And he just went, no, I've got to put my kids through college. It's like brilliant. Nice. What a what a man. Uh, but again, Kevin Doth has been rock solid on the Pro Tour. Um, he's, he's made a couple of quarters, a couple of semis. He hasn't won an event, I don't think, but he's been solid enough. That's on the opening night, and that's uh, that's who's going to be playing Michael Smith on the end of the opening night as well. I'll get into that in a minute. Um, other ones kind of throughout. Yeah, Scott Williams against Haruki Muramatsu. Williams has been he was he didn't have a tour card. I think he had a tour card this year, but last year he didn't. He came to the Challenge Tour and won an event on the like he won a Pro Tour event, which is the top level from the challenge uh, without even having a tour card because he was on the Challenge Tour. That takes some balls, um, and he's been he's been rocking in kind of 106, 107, relatively consistently on the Pro Tour. But again, Muramatsu has been along a lot around a long time. He's been in the World Cup a few times with Japan. He again 
obviously soft tip the soft tip version of the game is massive over in Japan. But that like he's he is kinda he's kinda taken both sides of the both sides of the game in that sense. Um so they're the they're the first two. And then like again, you always have to keep an eye on the women. Yeah. Particularly this year, because Jermaine Watamina is against Fallon Sherrick. Mm. You know what the crowd are gonna be like? That's like again, Fallon Sherrick, nothing again, nothing away from her. Because like she's thrown a nine darter this year on yeah, on, yeah. on on mode, and she's like again, her her game's improved. But what Amina is not really, um, shall we say, well equipped to deal with crowds needling him. Same can be said for Ricardo Petresco. He won the German Dash Championship in Germany. He's a, he, he he was a local, and he won basically because the German crowd just kept whistling at every other dart. That backfired again in the Grand Slam. He was in the group stage, and he, he the, something something in the crowd got to him. And he just went off the boil. He's against Makura Suzuki, who was a set away, I think, from winning one game round last year against James yeah, Richardson. Um, so you're thinking, right, they're the two where it's like if you if the crowd if, if Sherrick and Suzuki go one nil up, I'd say game over. I love because the they, I love the darts crowds whenever a woman's playing, where they just boo people for being a man. Yeah, <laughs> Willie like, O'Connor got it last year. It's against, weird, against it's, Paul Greaves. It's weirdly progressive. Like I don't yeah. know. I'm like I, I think we're moving in the right direction, but also like he's done nothing wrong. I mean, Sulevich as well got it before in the neck. Yeah, uh, yeah it's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> Very entertaining. Um, Irish prospects. Uh, we have a few in the running as well. Is there any you're kind of tipping and hope to go on a good run? Uh, short answer no because they've got the rough draws they've got really really rough draws all of them have high enough seeds like William O'Connor should probably beat the Indian quality or Bavitel uh, in in his first round game but he's against Chris Dobie then Chris Dobie won the Masters uh, Steve Lennon he has done very well to actually get here he was on the he's on the verge of losing his tour cards up until he got to the Grand Slam and that gave him the money so it's not quite a free shot now but even, even one win uh, will do him. He'll probably get that win, but then he's against Johnny Clayton in round two. Keen Barry, he must be cursing his luck because he had he's had Clayton, he's had I think he's had Clayton twice. He's had Vandenberg, and now this year you're thinking right. This is, I think it's his fifth world championship. He's only he's only 21 and like in 22, and he's it's his fifth world championship, and he just happens to get Michael Van Gerwen in the second round. I know it's luck of the draw, but come on, lads. Mm. The one that we probably might have a hope for is Dylan Slevin. He's he's making his debuts from Tipperary. He's twenty. He's been kind of going well on the tour as well. Um, but again, second round Dimitri Vandenberg. So he might not even get through his first round. Florian Hempel from, from Germany is dangerous enough as well. But they're all in the same half of the draw as well. Uh, Lennon and O'Connor in the time are in quarter one. Slevin Barry in quarter two. So like that's the mind. That is the I'll get on to it in a minute. That's the side of the half you would not have wanted to go into. Mm-hmm. And all four, all four from the Republic are in it. Like you have Gurney, you have Brendan Dolan as well. Again, Dolan remarkably consistent. Yeah. Um, could have could have gone off into retirement happily enough after hitting the Dublin nine dart, and he's just stayed like he's he almost did. I think he almost did go and retire in just before COVID, and then his wife has to talk him out of it. Went on to just change his throw, made it a bit quicker, won a pro tour title, and like he's 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 been ever consistent the world now. So mm. again, not great for the Republic, but you have your usual seeds like Josh Rock as well from the North. But yeah, no, I know I, I I'd be surprised. I love how they put them all. They put all the Irish lads on. I think it's the Wednesday afternoon as well. They put O'Connor, uh, Barry, and um, Steve Leonard all in the one. And do you know what? There is actually an adopted Irishman here as well that isn't listed as an Irish player. Radex Kaganski is a bus driver in Cork. Yeah. 
he he's and he, I'll get onto him in a minute. But yeah, he's 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 one of us as well. So I'll okay. keep an eye on him. Yeah. Interesting, exciting times. I cannot wait. Uh, apologies if the audio has massively improved on my side. I uh, I forgot to plug in my microphone. If I'm just being honest, and Kendo's giving us a lot of good stuff, so I'm not going to restart and make him do it again. Um, so maybe don't put your money in your pocket when it comes to the Irish going on good runs, but. We're all, we love a good, uh, a good little tipple here. We used to present, obviously, Paddy's New Yacht, a good uh, sport. Well, I say a good sports betting show. I don't know if that's for <laughs> us as a sign. Um, but a sports betting show. Where's the value? Where are the underdogs? Where's someone that could go on a run? I know, obviously, you're a big uh, Damon Hedda fan. When we talked about the match play, you were tipping him highly. And he nearly went out and did the whole thing. Um but we used to kind of people going on runs in the worlds. Who can ever forget Kirk Shepherd? Uh coming oh. from nowhere and getting to the final against John Parrott. You obviously have Rob Cross came from nowhere and finished filled the power Taylor's career. So um is there any kind of hidden gems in there that you're looking out for? Are people kind of going under the radar that could go on a run, maybe with the look of the draw or just their hidden form at the right time? Um a hundred percent. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a couple of bigger calls now in the sense that I don't think Peter Wright gets through the second round. He's against Jim Williams. Like Wright has had such a kind of up and down year where when he's been on form, he's been unstoppable. But it hasn't happened enough. And look, again, he's he's obviously won the world twice. He knows what he can do here. Um, but I think he, he would have looked at that draw and gone, oh, could, could I have not taken a, a handier kind of uh, pro star qualifier? Jim Williams uh, has won the has won the late side before. People may remember Um He's just again. He's one of these players that no one would have wanted to draw just because of how consistent, like how, like you, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get at least a 95 average, and on a good day, it's going to be up in the like could be 10 points higher than that. So if the pros and a lot of the time you have in these first rounds as well, when the pros haven't been on the stage yet, Jim Williams will have already have been. Peter Wright will still be waiting a few days. Jim will have been on it. He'll be using the lights. I know. Look, you'll say, oh geez, how much do the lights and the and the stage matter it matters a hell of a lot because if, if anyone's ever been to the Ali Pali you know exactly how warm it is and that's in the stands you can imagine with all the stage lights and the cameras on top as well so it's just about comfort thing uh, yeah Jim Williams will have him beating Peter Wright again Radix Kagensky against he'll look at Raymond Van Barneveld and if he gets through his first round he'll be he'll be fancying his chances he actually beat him in a pro tour semi-final um, throughout the year and like there's there's, there's so many and he's in a lot of stories that I was on about. So Dirk Van Dijvenboda has been injured for about half a year. He's kept putting off, putting off surgery, putting off uh, medical treatment. He's on his shoulder, and he just he. It's a shame because at the start of the year, up until about May, you would have looked at the World Championship and gone, "He's he's motoring fairly well this year. He's going to have a decent shot here." And I can't, I can't see him getting through, no matter who wins it. And Keegan Brown and Boris Karsh were just because of the injury. And like again, I really hope that he. He takes the world and goes right. I'll, I'll, I'll give up the UK Open in February. I'll give up the Masters in January, and I'll just get myself sorted. Um, like Simon, Simon Whitlock against Gary Anderson is going yes. to be around two games. Belter. That could have been a world final five or ten years ago. Like it's, it's, it's a, like again, Anderson has been fantastic. I think he'll probably will have enough for Whitlock. But he, again, it's one of them where he'll look at it and go, "You couldn't have given me any of the Irish lads for no. You could have had to give me Simon Whitlock." Um. Then the other two, only two young lads, uh, the lads who win the World Youth Final. Luke, Luke Litters is the next big thing in darts. He is going to be unbelievable. He's only 16. He has been averaging 110, 115 on the Moda Super Series. It's his first World Championship. I don't know if he'll... he'll like I, I have him... I think I have him getting to the third round. 
or the fourth round. He and he's in the same court as James Wade. I think that'll be the one, and um, that that's that trips him up all the way through. No matter who he has, I have him against because he's just like um, it's rare that you see people who are hyped up this much actually deliver. And I was wary of it because I remember. Don't know if you remember, fella Leighton Bennett. He was about fourteen. He was a really young fella a couple of years ago. Phil Taylor said, "Oh, geez, he's the next big thing," and and uh, all the extras are gone. He's going to be unbelievable, and it got to his head. And he just like again, he's he's not he's not doing that now. Whereas Littler just seems like so so consistent, like so comfortable in what in in that kind of environment. And yeah, the person he beat in the World Youth Finals, Jan Van Veen, is in the fourth quarter. It's the right side of the draw. He has been putting up some serious numbers as well. And again, it's one of them where it's like if he gets on if he gets on a run, there's not that many that will be able to stop him in a short format, particularly three sets, five sets. Maybe deeper as the games get longer and longer, he won't have played that many. Like I don't know if he's ever played an eleven set game on TV yet. I don't think he has. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're, 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 like Will, Jim Williams is a big one, Luke Litter as well, and then you got Whitlock and Anderson around too. Like what what right. a draw. Interesting times. Uh we look at this and Luke Luke Humphreys is walking into favor following, obviously. That makes sense. Won the Grand Slam, won the Grand Prix. He tends to win things with grand in the name. This does not have grand in the name. Maybe this is his kryptonite. Um, is he justifiably the best player on the planet now? Or is this a world where it's all on the table, form goes out the window? There's obviously a much different format. It's much like it's such a weird format and it's very it's so long between your first game and maybe then you have to wait till after Christmas and then it's in a you have to be consistent almost every night nearly from then on so is this just one of those mad world championships or is Luke Humphreys definitely the person to beat here I don't think you can argue that he isn't the person to beat because he's as you mentioned he's won three majors on the spin but I will caveat that and I'm glad you mentioned format because the Grand Slam leg format, the Players' Championship Finals leg format. The Grand Prix is a set format, but you got the mm. caveat of double in. And short as well. It, exactly. So mm. you're looking at it going, again, I don't see him really having too much trouble until maybe kind of the fourth or fifth round. He, like, you look at his quarter, Cullen, Searle, Aspinall, Gurney, Chisnell. Like, that's, and that's I think, someone else in there as well, where it's like, he's he's going to, like, if he, he's going to have to earn it. And I don't, like, again, he'll embrace that. He'll absolutely embrace having... Like those battles, if it's Cullen, if it's Searle, like he's gonna to have to beat them all anyway. So you might as well get get a good get a good feel of things. Um, yeah, like I, I, I mean, Michael Smith is the world number one. He's a reigning champion, and I don't think many people even have him getting through to the quarters. No. It's because like I don't want to bl- I don't always want to blame it on what's happened, but he switched manufacturers from unicorn to shot in, during the year. And whatever reason, he just doesn't seem comfortable with the new darts or the new style. Now, he may come out and change it for the world. Obviously, Peter Wright changes his darts every second set. He has he's won two world titles, but it, like like Smith has been. Everyone's like, oh geez, when he wins one title, he's gonna go, he's gonna go on a four on a run of form, and his average on the pro tour this year is the same as the world number fifty five. That's how poor he's been. Ooh. Like. Again, it's just like, like I don't. It might be the darts. It might be the pressure of being a world champion. We've seen it before. Like Van Gerwen, when he made the move from from XQ to Winmow, he struggled for a little bit with the with the with the new manufacturer. Like again, Van Gerwen as well. With the um, had major jaw surgery during the year, and he hasn't been kind of mm. at the peak of his powers. We saw it in the in the players' championship again, which is when you want to be coming back into form, of course. But still, let go of the final when he was he let Humphreys win four in Spain, which is something that Van Gerwen five years ago would never have done. Like. It's only flashes. We see him yeah. every for like a set or for a game, or like there he is, but then it disappears in the next game. Like it's what? Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, but there are so many. There are so many. Like, I, like, if you could ask any expert who who's going to win it, and then you'll get if you ask twenty different people, you'll get twenty different answers. They're just okay. because the quality of that mode is so good now that it's uh, it's it, it is it could be anyone. Kento, I'm not going to ask twenty people. I'm going to just ask you. And you will set, represent all of the critics here and all of the predictions. Who's going to win it? You know what I had to ask. <laughs> I mean, you see, you see, you'll, you'll remember as well that I, I'm actually on a little bit. I know, I know, I don't like to toot my own horn on this show. I'm on a little bit of a winning streak uh, when I'm coming to predicting things. I did say Damon Hetta or Michael Van Gerwen would win the uh, world match play, but you remember who my outside tip was for the world match play? Oh, it was Nathan Aspinall. Oh yeah. I don't know who my tip. Do you, want, do you want to know who my tip for the World Championship is? Go on, Nate Nassel. Do it again. It is Nate Nassel. Yes! Yes, I know. And I it. think there is a... There, and I think my reason for this is fairly solid. No one is really... Because he missed the Players' Championship, everyone is talking. Humphreys, Anderson, Van Gerwen. Look at all these people in form. It's like, okay, Nathan Nathan Aspinall has got two titles. This, uh, one TV title, the second biggest TV uh, title in darts in the World Match, mate. He's got three or four Pro Tours. He's in the right half of the draw. He's not in with Price. He's not in with Smith. He's not in with Van Gerwen. Um, he's in, sorry, no Van Gerwen, but he's in the, in terms of the in terms of actual difficulties yeah. in the right side of the draw. And he is one where if he like again, if he gets one or if he wins his first couple of rounds and he looks comfortable, like you know, we've seen him snatch a dart before and seen him with the with the twitches with the eye, but he will and he'll be another one that the crowd will get behind too because he's just so bloody likable. Right. Um. I, I, I'm going for Aspen Derrard. My outside tip is Bunting, okay. who has really come into form again, and he's got a very, very solid record at the Worlds. He's never, mm. he's got, I think he's got four semi-finals, including the 2020 one as well. But it's like, like he's, he's never really been lower than I think the the third round or the fourth round or the one before the quarterfinals. Like again, I could look ridiculous for picking them too. Luke Humphreys could come out and blow everyone away, but. Like if if people are picking Humphreys, they're going on the form, and that's absolutely fair. I just think that there's enough in it, particularly for Aspinall. I've seen enough from this year. He's looked really, really good. And I think if he can, if he can get one or two wins under the belt, I don't know how. I don't know um, who will be there to stop him. But like you can, you can, yeah, you can. I could, you could name fifteen people. Van Gerwen, Fallon Sheriff. Why not? Like because the crowd will just get behind there. Vandenberg, like Price. Haven't even mentioned Gerwen Price. He's he's. He's a lot of people's outside outside favorites because he's kind of come down the odds. He hasn't he hasn't uh, has a spectacular year, but he's still Gerald Price. Gary Anderson won the world title two times, has a new lease of life as well. I've been talking about how he wouldn't like he'd like to win it again, but yeah, my 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 money is on Aspinall already. I wanted to get on Anderson at forty to one, and then he had to go win three fucking pro tour titles. So that's the man. Love it, love it. I'd be very happy with a Nathan Aspinall uh, win, but uh, I, I think I've come to accept uh, it's Ryan Searle's world and we're all just living in it. Um, I lo- I'm a big fan and I'd love to be Ryan. I like that I loved, I loved his I loved his Grand Slam run as well. I don't think he's going to do it, but I think if you're looking at semi-finals or something like that, I think he's primed for a run. Um, and again, with Luke Humphries, I don't think form matters that much in the world. So it matters what form you're in once you're in there. People who come into form in the world are people who end up having difficult first-round matches and yeah. then start doubting themselves as the Christmas goes on. So it's it's an interesting one. Love it. It's going to be really exciting. We're going to be talking every day, I'm sure, uh, in private on this. But Kendall, I want to say wait. a big thank you for your contributions to page 180 this year. It's been 
been an absolute pleasure and I can't wait to have more conversations with you new year. Kendo is an absolute champ, guys. Kendo comes on no matter what the topic, no matter what's coming up. Um, Short notice, long notice, whether we have some plan or whether we don't, uh, Kendo comes and delivers every single time. So please follow him on social media at Kendo CCFC on everything. Um, follow him in the Irish Examiner. Go by uh, the Examiner, read his uh, excellent work uh, and uh, I'll look forward to more of our chats in the new year, Kento. Thank you. Have a good one. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? I don't know. I've never had any. You've never had chocolate? Still, no. Well, lucky for you, Noodle, I have a selection of the world's finest ingredients right here in my travel factory. Whoa. Where to begin? That's the question. I know. Silver linings, made of condensed thunderclouds and liquid sunlight. Did you always want to make chocolate? No. Back when I was your age, I wanted to be a magician. When I was a kid, the movies that I watched constantly on a loop at home were as follows. Never Ending Story, Willow, The Witches and Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So it might surprise you as someone with such deep affection for the original adaptation of Roald Dahl's novel that even when the world reacted with a near unanimous revulsion at the release of the first trailer for the prequel uh, Wonka starring Timothy Chalamet, I was actually a believer in this project. Part of that is they brought in the team behind Paddington 2 with Paul King directing off a script he co-wrote with Simon Farnaby. And I'm glad to report that from the word go, Wonka brings the same kind of witty, innocent, but never overly schmaltzy wholesomeness that made Paddington 2 such a surprise smash hit among audiences and critics alike. It feels almost like Muppet's Christmas Carol, which is fitting since it's effectively this year's big family Christmas release with characters breaking into likable, catchy songs littered with meta humors and aside constantly throughout. And as with all great family movies, it's immediately bright, it's colourful, and it's vibrant for the kids with each room we kind of step into, brimming with imagination and possibility in a way that really captures that feeling of watching Charlie and the absolute scrounge, by the way, Grandpa Joe, step into the chocolate factory for the first time. But there's also a lot of blink and you'll miss it gags there for the adults started throughout too. Like at one time early into the movie, Wonka explains that he found salt for one of his recipes in the tears of a Russian clown. It's unsurprising for what's effectively half a musical that there's also a really theatrical rhythmic quality to the dialogue and even how each character moves throughout the movie that the excellent cast all fully embrace. You can see that everyone here had an absolute ball making this movie. There are some fantastic performances here as a result. Olivia Coleman is lapping it up as evil hotel owner Miss Scrubbit. Patterson Joseph is campy and hilarious as lead villain Slugworth. While the movie really comes to life for me when we meet Hugh Grant's Oompa Loompa Lofty, I really wish we got more of him. I thought in the trailers we were going to get a lot of him and he was going to be a constant throughout, but he only really shows up about halfway through and even then it's more cameos. Uh, I would have loved to see more. And again, I, I, I would be surprised if we didn't get a sequel from this. I think this is going to do quite well. It's getting good reviews. Uh, I, I think he'll be more a part of that. But I feel like, yeah, I would have liked to see more of him here. Chalamet justifies his lead role as Wonka for what it's worth. And there's no denying that his performance is exactly what the script demanded. However, 
I guess I should kind of explain why exactly Gene Wilder and that movie captured my pure imagination in the original. And it kind of speaks to what I feel that this film is missing. With Wilder's Wonka, there was an unmistakable genius, a kind of passion for his work, and at times even some hints of warmth. But there was also a darkness at play. He was one of the first characters I remember as a child appreciating the extra dimension and mystery around. Because when you're a kid and you watch movies, you know, you tend to be spoon fed. This is the good guy and this is the bad guy because the good guys are really bright and shiny and happy and enthusiastic. And the bad guys have like ominous music in the background and they may have messed up teeth or look ugly or be wearing dark, scary clothes and stuff like that as well. But with Wonka, we didn't know how to feel. I, I wasn't sure throughout. I'm like, is this guy a good guy? Is it a bad guy? No matter how many times we watched it, I couldn't figure out if I'm supposed to actually like him or not. And that really intrigued me. There was kind of a madness to him. There was a menace. There was a real lack of empathy and anger at the world for this mysterious genius who'd kind of shunned society. And I guess if I was going to get a prequel, I really wanted to dig into that and how he got to be the person that we met. And again, we may get some of that if there is an inevitable sequel. But I really felt that this is what I wanted from that. Instead, the Wonka we get from Chalamet is almost blissfully naive and extremely pure of heart. Like he says early into the movie that he relies on chocolate and random acts of kindness from strangers, which is not the Willy Wonka we know. While we see some of his kind of early family life too, it's kind of unremarkable. It's really kind of base level uh, early life struggles and the ending doesn't really leave much room for more intrigue. That's not to say the movie wasn't good. They just made a choice here to kind of skip the darkness and make it instead a really fun, wholesome, surface-level movie that in a vacuum, like if this wasn't a prequel and you didn't have the expectations like I had of the original and kind of what you came to it with, you just say that this movie works. You'll have fun if this is your kind of thing, if it's appealing to you, and the kids will no doubt love it. So again, if you feel like it's something you or your kids will love, go see it. I recommend it. It's just that I feel they left the opportunity to be a really transcendingly great family movie on the table by ignoring that fascinating nuance at the heart of the Willy Wonka character. The plot is also kind of contrived, but charming enough to work at the same time so you don't mind. So what we got in the remake was a really fun experience, but not the potential all-time home run you feel this project could have been if they'd have just dug a little bit deeper past the surface. Guys, it's time for our last segment of the year. And with that in mind, we reviewed, I think I've reviewed over 120 odd movies on this show this year. Um, It's insane. And there's a lot of them. And when you get to the year end, it's natural to kind of come on and talk about our favorite movies. And there was one man who... I called up who I wanted to do this list with. Again, someone that I've had great chats with this year, but you know what? I haven't had enough of them. Um, So I wanted to get him back on for the ultimate chat as we compare uh, our notes and our top 10 movies of the year. Obviously so far, look, it's not even the end of December. There's some pretty good movies to come. Um, As as of the time I'm recording, I haven't even seen Wonka and there's a legit possibility that could just take it all and be number one. So we shall see. But ladies and gentlemen, joining me to discuss it all and break down the year in movies, it is the one the only tom pot from the pop cult pod tom you are Ooh. very welcome to page 180 welcome back thanks for having me for, for the for the last ever episode of page 180 <laughs> we already <laughs> no, gave the kidding. game away it's the season of the series finale we're all good no worries um, um yeah this is a i'm delighted to do this because on my own channel i always do top tens in this year 
I'm not doing a whole top 10, so this was a perfect time to dive in. And there's also going to be a few differences between my top 10 on the channel and this yes. top 10. So okay. I really want to, and you're a good bouncing board. I want to hear where I'm like, why is that wrong? Oh yeah, that shouldn't be there. And you know, <laughs> you're you're right. There are films still coming out. Like, I mean, I'm, oh, fucking Aquaman. Number yeah. one. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Just amend everything. It is all like <laughs> lists one to 10 is yeah. Aquaman. You never know. That's it. Uh, yeah. Cinema's over after Aquaman. <laughs> but yeah, let, let's keep, let, you know, keep, but that's just an excuse. Keep an eye on our socials and see if we update it. We will keep you posted. Keep an eye on, uh, obviously, the channel as well for Tom Popco Pod on YouTube. Uh, so excellent content as always. But uh, before we begin, I kind of want to get into just something that, made me curious because I have been stressing as much as I love this exercise and putting together lists like yourself. I've been stressing all week about it, changing my list, getting confused, throwing it at the window saying, I'll just leave it all. It's fine. Um, but I want to know that's my pre- process process is chaos. Um, but what's your process for kind of ranking movies, especially since it's something that you kind of do annually, how do you decide what makes your top 10? Is it something you're permanently ranking or what, what goes into your kind of top 10 list? It's that's that's a really interesting question because this is pretty much the first year that I have ranked every single thing I watched before. I was just like, what did I enjoy this year? Or I just chronicle everything I watched, whereas this time I'm literally ranking it. And it's kind of broken my brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm putting that disclaimer right now. If I if I have this, this I'm like, what was I thinking? There was a lot of times where like I started giving arbitrary star ratings and dust star ratings are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm never doing those again. Um, but I think what I look for in a film is the one that especially i think it's you know it's very hard for me with recency bias if something you see something recently it's it's really easy to just be like this is amazing mm. if there's a film i think that i saw towards the start of the year that still sticks with me that really scores high with me there's only a few films on the list i've seen more than once this year and i think that's something that also is going to weigh in uh mm. when we get to this uh aside from that i think it's really just a case of which felt either fresh uh, as in something I've never really seen before or something that I felt continued on something excellent from you know a previous installment or or just felt like a, a continued uh, great success by a director or a writer or actor so that's really what I bring to the table when it comes to this my brain's already on fire trying to guess because we don't know each other's <laughs> top 10 by the way and we've deliberately in conversations it's been so difficult to have conversations because we're organizing this but we're also like we start chatting and then it's like yeah. no stop talking um I'm similar. I I always love, so I, I keep a letterbox. And yeah, I agree with you on star ratings. You'll never hear me give a rating of a review because again, they're so subjective and star rate, it just reduces the film down to nothing. And I much prefer my reviews to be the like recommendations. It's like feelings, vibes, experience around it. I think that's what matters and that's what people hear. Um, so I'll never do star ratings until I'm ranking them because it is handy for having a, a notice where it's like, Oh yeah, I put that up there. You know what I mean? But I don't take it seriously. It's not something and they can constantly change too. I will. My process is because again, yeah, like yourself, I see so many different movies every week and it's tough to remember. Um, I will keep a letterboxed kind of private list, but I'll also like keep it throughout the year. So as I see something, I put the ranking in there, I put it in. Um, the way I rank it will always be based on 
would I rather watch this movie or this movie? And of course, that's so subjective because it can yeah. change based on mood and everything else, which is why this week has been absolute chaos and stress trying to put this together. Um, mm. But that's what I kind of come back to as well. Now, of course, then you get to the truly great movies, which again, some of them may be difficult watches and stuff like that as well. you got to take that into account and then you'll kind of look at the likes of Impact. Originality, like you say, is very uh, important, something that's given me something completely fresh or put a twist or made me think about things differently. Emotionally, impact as well i also love cinematic experiences so something like spider-man no way home okay not the greatest movie of all time one of the greatest cinema experiences of all time seeing that on opening day and have the cinema literally start screaming in a really yeah. positive way um for the cameos in that as well so that ranks highly with myself uh because again that's the community experience of cinema that i love so much and these are kind of the things that matter to me so very interesting we're similar but there's different uh kind of there's some core differences at play and that'll obviously play into our list because movies are so subjective the format and how we're going to do this, guys. Some housekeeping before we get into our list. We're not saying, like the TV shows uh, list we did with Kev last week, we're not saying these are the best movies of the year conclusively. We both made our own individual top 10 lists. They're fully subjective. These just happen to be our favorites, and we're going to talk about why, because that's a fun conversation, and it doesn't leave it where you have to feel less than for listening to our list and your favorite movies aren't on it. It's just, it's just these are an excuse to talk about some of our favorite movies. Also worth noting, as much as we'd love if it was the case, this isn't our full-time job. So we haven't seen all the movies. We've tried and we've gotten close, but we haven't seen all the movies this year. So there may be some missing uh, from our list. And again, that's just the realities of doing this. How we'll do it is, like last week, where if you listen to the TV, uh, Best TV Shows podcast, very similar. We're going to go in reverse order from 10 to 1, one at a time. Uh, but if Tom says 1 and I have it higher on my list or vice versa, we'll hold on to it. So we're only going to do one discussion per movie until we get to the point of who has a higher in their list, okay? Um, Spoiler-wise, guys, you're in a safe space here. We want to talk about the movies we love, but we want to, if you've seen it, we want to capture why you loved it as well, if you liked it, or kind of put words on the feelings. That's kind of the job of reviewers. But also, if you haven't seen it, we want to give you recommendations for cool stuff to watch over Christmas and, and beyond. Um, So we don't want to ruin these for you. We're not going to be getting into super plot spoilers, and we will dance around anything major in that for your benefit. So we're almost ready to get into our top 10. But beforehand, look, we're, we're, we live a very unhealthy lifestyle when it comes to movies. We see so much every single week. We couldn't narrow it down to just 10. So we're going to fly through this anyway. But first, we got to get in to some honorable mentions. But with the honorable mentions, similar to before, if someone has it in their top 10, we will say it. Tom, as you're the guest, I'm going to start with yourself and your honorable mentions. What did make the cut and why didn't it make the cut? Thank you for a very, very courteous host. I know we said no spoilers as well, but Rosebud is the name of the sled. Fuck everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Willis also oh. a ghost as well. There are some things oh, that just... what? Oh. <laughs> The twist is it was Bruce Willis the whole time. Oh. <laughs> no, uh, you're right. I mean, for me, I, I like I said, I've ranked. So this is, I guess, kind of my, my 20 to 11. I really agonized over this. Um, it's just been really hard to narrow these down. Uh, and again, I think this is one that I feel a little bit... Like if I saw it again, maybe not. But I think again, the first hand cinematic experience uh, was a thousand and one. Oh, Did you yeah. see this one? Yeah, very good, very good. It's not my yeah. top ten, but very good. Yeah. Again, it was just one that I hadn't expected. That was a slight mm. surprise. A little bit awards baity, mm. definitely a bit long in the middle. 
Uh, but I thought Tiana Taylor, I think her name was, uh, was really good as well. Yeah. So, you know, definitely one that I think I could reevaluate and maybe shift down a bit lower, but one that at the time I certainly enjoyed quite a bit. Right. Beyond that, uh, this was kind of a year where we had, uh, I mean, pointless biopic central about like the creation of companies and <laughs> here's a new invention. And for me, and again, I think it was one that, again, I could have swapped out with another one uh, that I quite enjoyed, but I really enjoyed Blackberry this year. Mm. Um, I, again, I would totally understand if someone didn't enjoy it. But I don't know. Anywhere you're near your list? It's not on my list. No uh, marketing movies where it's like, you can never do this. I can't. Yeah. You watch and see. <laughs> but of, I will agree with you that of those movies, I know, I don't know, maybe your top 10 is filled with them because there's more mm. than enough to fill out a top 10. But of those movies for me, that was my favorite. Um, yeah. If only for, no, for Glenn Harris and just yeah. being glenn frustrated with technology exactly that that was what put it over for me and i think like this one this one kind of felt like a complete story you know whereas the other ones it was like hey guess what here's the shoe we made i'm like oh okay yeah and then then what happened you know yeah. uh, but yeah and i should also say even though i'm saying this is my 2011 there's two films that i've excluded from my list because they technically come out in ireland next year okay. so it really is probably like 22 fair, <laughs> to, fair. To, to whatever just to be case uh another one um that again Probably the last gasp of of a, a former Titan. Uh, I mean, Marvel did really little to excite me this year, but the only one that got anywhere near it for me was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. I do have it in my top ten, so we'll hold oh, hold your okay, fire. Good, I want to have yeah. a lot of thoughts on that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Uh, perfect. The other one again. This is one that I heard a lot about when I was playing in America, uh, and I just thought it was such a it's like a warm hug of a movie, a real charming one. Was um, Marcel the Shell with shoes on? Uh, top ten. <laughs> Top 10. Great. Okay. Yeah. Again, one that I, I think that some people would probably be like, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, pretty good year for action movies. Uh, one that for me made my top uh, top 20, but wasn't uh, the highest action movie on my list was uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. So honorable mention, but go for it. We don't have to pause for, for the sake of it. Uh, I also have it in my honorable mention, so good mm -hmm. show. Yeah, I think it's one for me that I also think if I saw it again, Maybe not the same experience. I thought it was so, had such great tension. Again, it's it would probably score a lot higher if it felt complete. It does feel like a worrying trend that we've got the last few years, which is like, and we'll leave it there until the sequel. And mm. it kind of has that. But I mean, look, I I love stunts. I such a, a, a film could be totally shit and have one amazing stunt, and I I forgive it. Yeah, uh, this is full of those things. I mean, I don't know how they kind of keep upping the stakes of it as Tom Cruise gets older. It's yeah. not my favorite of the Mission Impossible. I think Fallout, the previous one, was better, but mm. I like the I I just like the cast we have at the moment. I really like the addition of Haley Atwell and Pam Clementif as well. So uh, yeah, looking forward to part two. Hopefully, it feels a bit more complete. Again, yeah. rewatch could mm -hmm. see this one sliding down a little bit. Okay, interesting. All right, next one. Uh, Horror had a decent year. I thought there was a lot of clunkers in horror, but one that felt like uh, a real breath of fresh air to me this year, uh, especially considering how awful I thought the Exorcist uh, remake was, was Talk To Me. I knew it. I knew it. I was smiling here. <laughs> Alter and honorable mentions. Go, chat away though. Love it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's uh, like, talk about how the hell do you make an exorcism film feel fresh and different mm -hmm. nowadays? Because it's so overdone. I just thought it was really legitimately terrifying at times uh not always like jump like too many jump scares was worked as well there was some moments that were just really unsettling like all in, I, like i'm not obviously this is no spoiler but if i just said the word table everyone knows what the hell I'm talking oh. about. and like you know and literally like 
I, and it's funny enough because a couple of years ago I put uh, Titan or Titan, whatever. I'm not. I don't speak French. <laughs> is is in one of my number one films, and I said what I loved about that was the cinematic experience where yeah. there was every reaction. This was one of the few movies this year where I literally, no joking, I don't think I've ever done this. I just went like, oh, like curled up in my seat. Yeah. My feet were nearly in my chin. I just thought it was really interesting. There's a lot of layers to it as well. You could dive into, you know, the themes of abuse and alcoholism and all this stuff that I found really interesting mm. uh, and addiction, obviously. I just thought it was really a breath of fresh air at a year where I thought Howard kind of dropped the bag a lot. Agreed. This felt like two fresh new voices um, bringing a, an interesting film. I hope they won't, don't overdo it with sequels. I know mm-hmm. they're kind of going for that idea as well, but I just thought it felt really original for something that shouldn't feel original, and that's why it made my honorable mentions. Yeah, I loved it. I don't want to see talk two, number two, me. Uh, like, <laughs> and then it's just, it's like it's over, but yeah, yeah I don't Two either. talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, aside from that, the next one I have was actually one we've discussed on the show already. And I was more down on this one than you were, but that was Barbie. Um, okay. I, I think, uh, yeah. Top I mean, 10. if like we'll talk about that, but there's a lot to say about Barbie and a yeah. lot to unpack, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Beyond that, uh, I have one that, again, I think would be in my top 10, but I have to I have to really document my experience when we, if we do talk about this with Killers of the Flower Moon. Hmm. I've it in a I've a, a, an honorable mention. So talk away. Okay. Chat away. So my experience with this was that I read the book. Okay. And I know I hate to be like, that's right, I read the book. The book is better. <laughs> you know, as much as we're being fancy, you know. But um the the problem with it is that the book isn't just that it's better, it's that the way the narrative unfolds is far more interesting. And it was hard for me to watch the movie for what it was and not see what it could have been. Yeah. Um. There's. I don't think this is a spoiler because the, it's, it was kind of the big discussion when the movie came out was that they kind of changed who the narrative focus of the film was. Okay. And I think, yeah, that was a mistake. Um. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of positives. I think, you know, I think have, it's a great film by Scorsese. It is, re- it is a really good film. I just felt that it was A, way too long. For what it was, I feel it kind of lost momentum in its narrative uh, by making that change, personally. Um, And I will say, I'm actually not a massive Leo fan. I think a lot of time he overacts and people are like, wow, acting. Mm. Um, I think this was a time where he actually showed a bit more range. And I mean, Robert De Niro can prove that, yeah, he can act still when he wants to. So Lily Gladstone as well, I should mention her, who was just amazing in this. Um, there was a lot I liked about it, but I wanted to love it. So maybe I'm grading this more on my disappointment as opposed to my actual uh, barometer for quality. I don't know. Okay, fair. Interesting. It's something to divorce that though. Like that's just part of yeah. it. Expectations, like they play a part and there's nothing you can do, but it is, it's, it's interesting context. And I've heard, I haven't read the book, but I've heard a lot of the changes and so on. And I kind of, I would have loved to see the book made that way by Scorsese, Scorsese yeah. with more of a mystery element. So yeah, I agree. There it goes. Um, the next one, uh, one of the higher action movies on my list. And again, one that I feel like if I watched again, maybe I was just, I mean, this was the, one of the cinematic experiences of the year for me. Um, a franchise that I think keeps kind of building uh, and being exciting and managing to one-up itself a little bit was John Wick Chapter 4. Oh, okay. Not on my top 10. Yeah. Interesting one uh, for me because I'm like, John Wick was one of those ones that I was hearing about forever when it was first coming out because uh, it was in America and it was like, you won't believe this. And I was the one that championed in my group of friends. And it's just been amazing seeing this franchise kind of grow uh, as far as success and and, and uh, reception to it. This for me felt like the 
it has to kind of be the final act if only because mm. like what do you do <laughs> after this um i feel like john wick 3 is what i really enjoyed as well but in retrospect don't like it as much maybe i'll feel that way about this it is really long but yeah. if you can keep me in a chair uh for that long and not be bored i'm all for it i, I just i liked uh the new villain i thought uh it was probably the hybrid franchise that I really enjoy. And I've always a fan of the kind of inventive action movies. And I feel like this was so inventive that it's now kind of become a parody and become stale because everyone is like John Wicking it. Yeah. But uh, this was one where I feel like, you know, this should be a final chapter for Mr. Wick. Uh, yeah. And I think it was a pretty good chapter if it was. Yeah, I liked it. It was the most John Wick movie ever. It was like, <laughs> yeah. whatever you think about John Wick, they had all of it in there. <laughs> yeah. It was like but they I weren't, they it. were, yeah, they weren't trying to get any new fans. They were like, look, you know what you're in for now, and yeah. we're going to go all fucking crazy. <laughs> Every bit of it we're going to give you. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, the last one of my honorable mentions, uh, I have to say, um, animation this year was such an amazing uh, genre. Like, I feel like there was so many highs. Um, and a few lows, you know, wish was, <laughs> but I was really uh, talking about another film to do with wish. And that is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Okay. Okay. I yeah. love it. I love yeah. it. I don't have it in my top 10. Um, An odd one. Definitely. Well, okay. Go for it. <laughs> let me, let me say this, right. I was a Shrek kid growing up. I was that age. Shrek 2 might be the, one of the most influential movies on my sense of humor. Love it. And Puss in Boots got introduced in that. I loved Puss in Boots. So I, I never saw the Puss in Boots spinoff because it just seemed lazy and cashed in. Then I saw reviews for this and I was like, oh, okay. Seems seems like it's decent. Seems yeah. pretty good. And then I went to see it and it kind of blew my mind. Um, I loved the animation style in this. Um, I think we're really getting a point now where animated movies are starting to do different things. Even though I rubbished Wish, they have a different kind of art style to it as well. Mm -hmm. But I loved the way this looked. I thought it had a great sense of humor. I thought the action was really kind of creative. I, I'm a sucker as well for when they take, I know it's such a dumb thing that's a hangover in me, which is that when they take fairy tales and twist them in a way you don't expect. It's yeah. so obvious, but yeah. I'm just like, oh yeah, look, oh look, Goldilocks and the Three Bears are like a British gangster. I'm like, I love, that. <laughs> <laughs> I love every bit of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was great. I mean, it's one of the movies that I saw to earlier and on the, a plane to America, I watched it again uh, and nice. that it still holds up. So that's again, one of the reasons why it's so high. But that's okay. uh, that's the end of my honorable mentions. Some are honorable, okay. some are, could be more dishonorable perhaps. But <laughs> Interesting. I love it. Um, I watched Puss in Boots as one of the most interesting. I've done a few back-to-backs this year. This was one of the most varied and interesting because it was Puss in Boots followed by Magic Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a strange experience, man. I'm not gonna lie, uh, but I feel like I got the order correct. I feel it would have been weirder going the opposite way. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, why am I just amped up walking into? Puss <laughs> why is that cat got boots on? Take them off. When's the dancing start? Um, I'll go through mine. At twenty, I've got Killers of the Flare Moon. Um, really liked this movie. I enjoyed it. It was intriguing to me because I was like. I really want to see this movie, but I also don't see it as a Marty Scorsese type movie. And he made it like when you watch it, you're like, yeah, it's a Scorsese movie. He did the thing. I think the fact that he landed that plane and made it both relevant to what the subject matter is and the fact that he made it a trademark movie that actually fit within his genre and you could feel and, and see him. Literally, you could see him at one stage. Um, But I feel that like, it gets overrated because it worked 
And I feel people mm-hmm. are automatically, I feel this is the best, this is the best example of a tier two Marty Scorsese movie. And that's a really high standard. It will probably be the best on many directors' uh, CVs, but I, I just don't feel that it's it's like one of the best movies of the year. Just It was a fun experience. Yeah. I probably watched it again. Agreed. I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, I agree. I think it'll probably be one of those ones that's reevaluated in a few years. People kind of like, actually, you know what? It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree. Um, 19, I have Sisu. Not in my top uh, 10 or my honorable mentions, obviously. Yeah, go ahead. I love this. <laughs> this was the one movie I was in this year. And it may surprise you that when it ended, it got a round of applause and people stood. <laughs> incredible. Wow. Incredible. Jesus. It is just wild. It is a Finnish movie set in World <laughs> War Two. There's a touch of John Wick with it. But if John Wick had... Quentin Tarantino like level of violence. There is kind of also a revisionist history kind of. So if you like Inglorious Bastards and that type of stuff, uh, it's very good. Um, it's just about this kind of mystery badass man, just a very uh nuts and bolts action movie concept, but just executed fantastically well. The violence is so again, Tarantino's the person I can think of because it's shocking but delightfully shocking because it's so extreme that you just never expect it um love the main character love the fact that you didn't he never had a name he just was a myth um and then you just got to spend time with that myth uh love the fact that there was a cool dog in this movie that'll always get high up the list um but yeah really really interesting movie and uh yeah i loved it and again like i said yeah. only movie again reactions in cinemas Get get points with me, and that was the only one that got a round of applause, and it just stuck with me. And I I I was clapping myself. I'm like, yeah, you did it. I was not expecting this, whatever I was expecting. One of those movies that I just I deliberately gave myself no idea of what it was when it came in, and I'm just I'm just gonna see this movie and see how it goes. And I'm like, holy fucking shit! Uh, really recommend it if you like action movies. Yeah, at, at number eighteen, I've got Lola. I don't think I've seen Lola. I hear Tell me about Lola. There's <laughs> one to watch, okay? It's an Irish movie. Um made by Andrew Legg or Ledge. I don't know. It could he's Irish, so it could be Ledge. Um, but it's about two sisters who build a time machine. Um, it's set in the 1940s, so smack bang in the middle of World War II. And they start to play around with time. And at first, it's just a cool concept movie where they discover David Bowie at first. Uh, they discover disco music. And at one stage, they start singing disco in a pub. And similar to kind of like not similar. The movie's not similar at all to the movie yesterday. But that kind of concept of if you knew things before everyone else and then made yourself into a celebrity and a star as a result of it. But it's happening in World War II. So eventually, after not too long, the army co-opts the technology. And then you're talking a bit of the butterfly effect. You know what I mean? So you're talking like, right, what would happen if this... And then it changes the course of history. Um, And I won't get into it from there, but it is fantastic. Very low budget, but the kind of low budget, clever movie that is just a treat to see because it's just so imaginative and it just does so much with the concept but at the same time they're also doing so little on the screen um black and white as well great performances from the leads um it is stephanie Mar- stephanie martini and emma appleton the lead uh they are phenomenal um really recommend it uh if it's something yeah. you, you haven't seen go out of your way yeah, I just re- yeah, I just realized when you were describing, it, I was like, I have, I did hear about this film, and it was not playing near me. So no, I'm like right on that list. Yeah, it's absolutely. Wild. 
it's that's sometimes what that what what let me just say sometimes the art house movie scene in cork is like the movie will be out somewhere else and then it'll be like a month later it's like here it is or else just doesn't come out at all yeah, <laughs> it's, it's tough. damn yeah that's one to check out for sure it's tough I, I'm, I'm so lucky i live so close to the lighthouse because i get to see so many of these and so many of these i call them screen four movies because the lighthouse screen four just has the weird it has the kind of the um the, the kind of weird movies are just different alt ones the ones you should just not know about and just go in you're like holy shit see who i saw on screen four uh case in point uh dream scenario i have at number 17 that is in my top 10 okay fair i don't disagree and we, i can't wait to discuss <laughs> it number 16 is one i just did not expect to be anywhere near this list when i walked into it but i was just blown away by how good it was and how much i had to say it's the creator Oh, that is not in my top 10 or audible mentions. Go for it. Just Gareth Edwards just gets it, man. He just gets these kind of movies. Absolutely phenomenal. Blew me away with the story. And I watched all the ads and I'm like, I'm not going to like this movie. I'm going to go off it. But it just, like I said, had so much to say throughout. Um, There was commentary on AI, on there's a bit of Avatar in there as well, like we're kind of the US or the baddies and so on. And I loved the contrast between here's AI and this is the worst case scenario, but also this is the worst case scenario in America. And here's how the rest of the world got on with AI and just that contrast and how they played that out. And it just felt like Gareth Edwards, of course, probably became most renowned on a blockbuster level and why he gets blockbuster money is the success he had with Rogue One and the directorial twist he put on Star Wars. Um, obviously with great scripting behind that as well. Um, but like, yeah, I just, I loved this in a way. It just connected to me emotionally in a way I was just not expecting. I was like, I'm going to see this because I see all the blockbusters because I have a movie review show. I'm probably not going to like it. And it just, took me in a completely different direction um so in a number 16 in a number 15 i've got talk to me um agree with what you say very similar review so i'm not gonna add too much to it what i will add is again cinematic experience plays so much into this for me and again i think it's fair to judge movies based on this because the movie is essentially inspiring that experience <laughs> the experience i had with it very similar to yourself but it was i was it was a full cinema first start which i loved um and it was a group of lads and they're lads, lads, lads sitting beside me. And literally as the scene you're describing uh, earlier starts happening, I won't say anymore. I'm like digging my nails into the seat. I'm like, oh my God, this is so fucking intense again. And what I love about this movie is nothing you've seen here on paper is stuff you haven't seen done a million times before. It's just done so fucking well with great actors and just commitment to everything that they do uh, that is so effective. But the lads sitting beside me are, again, hard lads who probably never cried in the cinema would slag each other if any of them did. They're all like... <laughs> and just slowly, <laughs> they left. Yeah. And I know immediately as soon as they left, they said, let's never speak of this again. <laughs> because yeah, Don't talk had... to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally, yeah. don't talk to me. I should say, that's handy, by the way. We both I had it at number 15 as well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there we, there we go. Yeah. One, we, one we both had as well, uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, very similar intense experience. I did see it twice. It worked for me twice. 
the the train scene, as all I'll say, is one of the most intense action scenes I've ever seen. Is the plot bollocks? Of course it is, but it's Mission Impossible. You know what you're getting. This movie, like John Wick, knows what it is and it gives it to you and it goes out of its way to outdo itself every single time. I think giving... I, I know what Mission Impossible used to be, and they've made so many movies now that they've changed identity, but it still works no matter what. It used to be a plaything that they gave to different directors, and they're like, you go play with Tom Cruise now. Now you go play with Tom Cruise, and you find new things for him to do. And that made it interesting early. But I think giving the series to Christopher McQuarrie has just worked because he gets this on a fundamental level, and he knows how to raise the stakes. Um. Again, you could cut through the, the the plot with a with a with a butter knife, but that's not why you're here. You're here for cool action. You're here for you know the characters that you like. You're here for you know fun, likable performances. It just is what it is. And it, as a Mission Impossible movie, it's a great one, and I really like Mission Impossible movies, so uh, yeah. I think it deserves to be here. In a number thirteen, I've got a couple of, of like under the radar true. Tr- treats that I have at 13 and 12 um, but both easy could be in your top 10 because I think they're both great movies in a 13 I've got my highest Irish entry uh, Ballywalter I've not seen this either oh treat yourself and it's a really <laughs> good film to watch this Christmas right and I don't blame you like again you know it's limited distribution I had mm. to travel. I've got like a cinema across the road from me and then I've got the lighthouse down the road and I had to travel all the way out to Liffey Valley from Dublin City to go find somewhere to actually watch this. What a fucking treat it was. I had the cinema to myself, thank God, because I bawled my fucking eyes out. It was amazing. I did not know what to expect in a movie that was fronted by Patrick Hilty. I'm like, mm, I don't know about this. I, I do not know this guy as an actor and I don't imagine that mm. it's amazing since... He's a talk show host by trade. He was fantastic in this movie. Um, if you don't know it, basically, it's uh, the, the concept of the movie is uh, it's a double header. You have Shauna Kerslake is Eileen. Um, she is someone who is kind of just in that in-between stage of her 20s where just nothing is clicked and she's kind of just bouncing between jobs. She's just existing. She's not living. She's getting up. Everything is habitual. And you spend a lot of time in that boring void with her, but she's actually a really engaging presence. So again, you don't mind. Uh, Patrick Hilde is someone who's been through some stuff and he's uh, like, Eileen is a taxi driver, by the way, um, slash barista, uh, trying to make ends meet. Uh, Patrick Hilde is Shane. He's someone who she picks up one day um, and and again, learns more about him because he wants to get a, a regular taxi driver because he's learning how to do stand-up. You sense as a coping mechanism for something, uh, which obviously you learn as time goes on. It's just a really simple plot and a really simple movie, but it's just amazingly executed. And when it hits, it hits. It reminds me a lot, not in plot, but emotionally of On Colleen Keown, in that, again, oh. it just rests on such basic Irish laurels. Obviously, it's Northern Irish in nature, but like it rests on basic Irish laurels. And it's just about feelings. It's about relating to things. It's about understanding where the characters are. It's about you're just existing with them. And the plot is just gently unfolding in the background. It's not kind of forcing itself on you or pushing any narrative. You're just existing with these people and it gets to where it needs to get to. And you just experience it with them emotionally. And it is... Brilliant. Everyone nails it and it went so under the radar. Um bit disappointing that there's only one 
Irish movie on this list, considering I had two in my top three last year. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. So I'm glad to hear you mention that, uh, that because I, I my experience with that was my mom was like, Patrick, he has a movie. And I was like, oh, God, it must be awful if my mom yeah. is recommending it. Like, yeah. Um, And yeah, for me, like I have at least one Irish film in my top 10 every year since I started doing this. And this is the one year where that's not true. So I'm glad to hear that maybe I just missed uh, an uncovered gem like, you know. There you go. And it is. It's a good one to watch over Christmas. It's a family movie as well if you want to watch it. Not not kids, but like if you want to watch something with the, with the grown-ups, it's, it's one to watch. But it is emotional. In at number 12, another kind of low-key emotional movie, very similar themes, uh, Scrapper. Didn't see this one either. <laughs> oh, wow. This is so good. This is... Um, Essentially, it's again, it's kind of low budget, but it, it kind of it's what you want from a low budget, high imagination, incredible performances. Um, Lola Campbell as Georgie gives one of the best child performances I've probably seen in the past 10 years. Essentially, she's a kid who's kind of uh, essentially been abandoned and is kind of just fending for herself. Uh, she's a 12 year old kid. Um, her mother passes away. Uh, she doesn't want people to know because then she doesn't want to go into care. Her father, uh, who is played by, um, sorry, I'm trying to find the actor's name here to do him justice. Horace Dickinson, um, a triangle of sadness you may re recognize him from and a lot of other things. Um, he comes into the scene and he's a bit of a, a, a kind of, he's a bit of a low, he's a bit of a party boy and stuff like that, but he tries to learn how to be a father on the spot. And it's just about them building that relationship. And they're just so charismatic and they just have such amazing palpable chemistry. It's got touches of, uh, I'm blanking here, the Paul Mescal movie from last year. Um, the Everyone oh, Pride. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, you know the girl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fuck, that's really going to annoy it's me. Got shades, it, it's got shades of that. Um, and, and again, if you like that, you will love this because it's not as bleak. It's more likable after some. There you go. There we uh, go. It's more likable. It's more positive. It's more optimistic. But it doesn't shy away from the negative standpoints either and the difficulties the characters face. Uh, really, really heartwarming. It'll just, it'll, it'll, it literally will just leave you smiling. Um, at, at everything in there, there's loads of genuinely hilarious moments. Uh, there's one clip where they're they're playing a game. Um, on the train where they kind of they're at the train station and they people watch, but they pretend to have a conversation as those people, and then the people hear them and they're like, you know, we can hear you. What are you taking the piss for? And they're so like, oh, shit. <laughs> genuinely funny, but like simple humor, really, really good. And eleven one, I'm almost certain is in your top ten. Uh, Oppenheimer. It is in my top 10. Good guess. So, <laughs> with that said, that leads us in to Tom's top 10. In at number oh, 10 nice. for yourself. We're getting to the business end. In at number 10 was an honorable mention for you as well. It was Dream Scenario. Nice. Um, I'm going to out myself as a real weirdo, I think, with this list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's cool with me. Um, I will say, first of all, like a lot of films you mentioned as well were like films where like I heard about them and then I didn't hear about them. So that's great. I've written all those down. So I definitely, uh, this could be a very different top 10 when it gets nice. to my no. channel. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I love I love when Nicolas Cage is just able to say, hey, guess what? I actually can act. Surprise! Mm. Um, I don't think you can get a better actor for this role. Um, it was such a perfect like encapsulation of this pathetic man that all of a sudden gets this kind of strange celebrity meme culture almost shoved onto him, and that's kind of Nicolas Cage. Um, I will say uh, it's produced by Ari Aster, uh, and it definitely feels like an Ari Aster film. The one most yeah. obvious would be Bo Was Afraid, which yes. came out this year. Which again, if we were grading Bo Was Afraid on the first forty minutes, it would be in my number one film probably. <laughs> but you know, unfortunately, they have to keep making it a movie. Um, but. 
Yeah, I just loved the concept. I loved how weird it was, but also like they played it so straight. Like it was obviously kind of magical realism where something totally weird and unexplained happens. And then, okay, but how would you actually react to that realistically? <laughs> it was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, marketing and all these kind of things, which I just thought was really good. Uh, I probably would take points away from it because I do feel like it loses some momentum. Uh, towards the end, it kind of feels like it's a little bit you know, uh, out of ideas and out of steam. But I thought of it like it actually had commentary on things without bashing you over the head with it, like commentaries about cancel culture uh, and kind of the idea of celebrity. Uh, I also just remembered I, I did it. I filmed a review for this, which might be out next week, <laughs> nice. along with a few other things um, where I go into it in more detail. But yeah, I thought this was just a treat. It was one that I genuinely didn't know what it was about. Um, it was one where I'd heard, oh, yeah, the Ari Aster produced Nicolas Cage movie. And then I sat down in cinema and they played a trailer for it. And I was like, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's it, what's it about? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I thought it was a, a real joy. Again, honorable mention for yourself. Uh, I thought it was fantastic all the same, but I loved it. Yeah, loved it. Great cinema experience. Bo's Afraid is what I thought of as well. Uh, because they they are they're so similar. They're eight twenty four movies where they're just like, but this is like Bo is Afraid, um, with focus. You know what I mean, and a bit of discipline, and actually going out and telling the story. I loved Bo's Afraid as a cinematic experience, by the way, and I do. I'm glad we we it came up. Um. Because it was just so wild being in it with other people. And like some people were disgusted, some people left, some people were having the best time. I'm having the best time watching other people have these amazing experiences. I love those. And that was very similar here, but we we're all on the same page in the movie mm-hmm. and that we all loved it. We were all having fun. The laughs, it was getting genuine laughs constantly. Um, it worked. I agree. You couldn't have had anyone else but Nicolas Cage play this role. Um, he was absolutely phenomenal in it. Uh, and everything in this was funny because it was Nicolas Cage. But as well, he's at that self-aware stage of his career now where he gets that he's funny because he's Nicolas Cage. There's so many great (laughs) movies. You know, the unbearable weight and all those other movies as well. Um, You know, even as far back as Kick-Ass, like that's where he started to get, oh, me just being me is gas. Um, Again, yeah, I liked the commentary. It kept, relatively disciplined I agree the back end kind of did lose the metaphor and they're like oh yeah we have to take these characters somewhere and I feel like they lost interest in the script as yeah. much um, and that can happen when a concept starts to become a reality and you have to add narrative structure to it um, but a really enjoyable experience uh, if you didn't get a chance to see it in the cinema and you get a chance I, I, I'm i raging because you probably won't get to see it in full cinemas uh, and yeah. fully experience the reactions uh, because it gets some amazing mm-hmm. laughs uh, but a really really fun movie I loved it. That's great because you're, you're right, actually. When because like when it comes to the cinematic experience, like it was a kind of a sparsely like everyone was sitting far away from each other, where it can go kind of either way. The the amount of laughter was amazing. I, it has the best sex scene this year <laughs> yeah. for me. I I genuinely was laughing so hard at it that I had to bite my knuckle because I was going to ruin the next scene. It was, I mean, there's this I like people were just laughing at the idea of Nicolas Cage just wandering into people's minds like yeah. um, like he's just sat like you know the, that famous Bigfoot footage it was just like <laughs> amazing but yeah I mean look there's a lot of stuff to love about this one even if I, I agree as well that focus was very much lost towards the end but hey yeah. a good enough time I was there I, mean, I had a Talking Heads reference and I like Talking Heads so I'll yeah. take that <laughs> that, was, that was a fantastic scene uh, yeah. especially with the year that's in it the Talking Heads movie that came I out. was going to say that was one of the reasons yeah. I was like yeah I saw that this year yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's me <laughs> <laughs> My number 10 is, and we've touched on already, Guardians Volume 3. Um, and kind of the critics all year have been saying Marvel is dying. And again, there's validity to that. And like, I'm not going to be apologists and say everything is perfect. But also, 
you know what? Marvel Studios gave me a top five TV show of 2023. Loki, God not uh, Secret yeah. Invasion, if you haven't heard. Loved it. <laughs> and the top 10 movie. So every now and then, for at least a few hours, they can get things right and things can feel perfect and they can still make me feel like they did back when they were at their peak. Granted, it is worrying for them that James Gunn is the one who's making us feel this way and then going to head up the studio with their biggest rival, but that's their problem, not ours. We don't have to care. We can just enjoy the content. Meanwhile, we got the bow out of his Guardians trilogy with an absolute treat that reminded us why we love these characters so much. The choice to, at the last hurdle, turn around and say, oh, Rocket was the main character the entire time, having never indicated that. But also, it did shift how we felt about the other movies. It it almost necessitated a rewatch of all the other movies they've been in, because then you could think about it. Yeah, he's the one who survived the snap. He's the one who did this, that, the other. You know what I mean? So um, he is the emotional heart of the Guardians, but it was in disguise all this time. And then delivering a movie which gave us all the laughs and the moments we wanted, uh, even while they kind of bulked out their cast between all the sequels and then the holiday special and then true Avengers and so on um, to give everyone their send off and the, the moments that they deserved and then reach the emotional heights that frankly we didn't think guardians could do was astounding to me. I laughed. I cried my eyes out to the point that someone looked at me at one stage towards the end um, I, because I just let out a massive man. So I was like, <laughs> and then they were just like, um, but like, again, like, uh, then I went back and watched it again and I had the exact same reactions. I'm going to watch it again over Christmas. I'm going to have the exact same reactions. It's comfortably a top 10 Marvel Studios movie for me. And it is solidified for me that the Guardians is the best trilogy they've done. And to do it in a climate, climate where everyone is rooting for Marvel to fail and looking for negatives and looking for it because that's what makes the story. That's what gets the likes. That's what gets reactions. Is incredible. It's all the more impressive. Tom, yeah. it's good to have friends and it was great to spend time with these friends and enjoy this as much as I did. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like the pitchforks have really been out for Marvel. It seems like people are taking glee in their downfall. And I think in a year where they have a film like this, it's like there's life in the old dog yet or the old raccoon, I suppose. <laughs> um, I mean, the fact you can get me to, to, to pretty much tear up and well up about a raccoon <laughs> shows that people give a shit about these characters. And I think... That should be kind of the benchmark that they should go with forward. What about something a bit more standalone at times? You know, it doesn't always have to lead to, you know, big events, uh, 56 or whatever the hook. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was such a great way of, of closing out the strategy. Again, interested to see what James Gunn does with DC, if he can kind of write that ship. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, I could easily, I think it was in my top 10 for most of the year, to be mm. honest. So definitely see your justification for having there. Yep. Definitely. Stuff. All right. There we go. That's our 10 stone in at number nine for you. <laughs> continuing the trend of Tom is a fucking weirdo um, I saw a film that was I've described to someone as high end trash ah, um, yes we've got the I same number it. nine <laughs> it's going to be Saltburn right yeah same number hey. nine <laughs> I mean I don't know what to say about this film but I, I you know obviously we're doing no spoilers but I saw a spoiler on Twitter and I was like oh I wish I had known that and it's like one of like 55 fucking things that happens in this movie. That's weird. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm also not someone who's always sold on, you know, Barry Keoghan, Keegan, whatever we want to call him. Um, he's often someone that I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know. He kind of plays up the ocean sometimes or sometimes he's he's not really doing it for me. Here, I was like, I get it. Fully channeling his fucking cat killer from love, hate energy in this film as well. Um, I hated everyone in the film. 
it was like something I couldn't stop watching though. Um, I will say I actually preferred it to uh, her other film, Promising Young Woman, uh, which is a controversial one. Yeah. Um, Again, I think some people are attacking this the wrong way. They're kind of going, oh, it's satire. And someone's saying, oh, poor people are evil, rich people are evil. Uh, Like, it kind of just says it's like an equal opportunities of Hemner for me. It's like everyone's kind of an asshole. And (laughs) if they see something they want, they will do whatever it is to preserve themselves. Um, the it was kind of weird and gothy and funny. Um, I loved uh, every minute of it. It, it was one that like anytime something happened, I was like, "This is weird. This is awkward." But it, it got me feeling just about every emotion. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I loved the soundtrack. Was excellent. Um, because it was that kind of era where I was, you know, kind of growing up. So I was like, "Oh, I haven't heard that song in ages." Um, I mean, I'm definitely never going to listen to Murder on the Dance Floor by <laughs> Sophia Lewis or the same ever again. Um, I loved it. Like it was, it was like a guilty pleasure movie in a way. But yeah. I just thought it was, it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, same. Uh, this, this was part of the reason why I struggled with my rankings because I was fine with my rankings up until I saw this movie, and then I'm like, this could be my favorite movie of the year. I don't know. I don't know what I feel about this movie, but I could also hate it at the same time and it was just insane it broke we were protecting her the week and we said it broke both of our brains and and that's the way it is promising young woman was actually my favorite movie of 2021 mm. um so and, and i would rank it over this but i think it's a fair comparison either or like um but with that i think emerald emerald fennel has kind of marked herself as one of the most confident and capable young directors on the planet today. I keep calling her young. I think she's just like had a couple of movies, but like her being young makes me young. So I'm going to stick with it. Um, Similar to yourself. I not only have not been on the fence about Barry Keoghan, I've actively disliked him for a long time. Um, It's like, he just, I feel like he kind of, a lot of the time he just overacts for the sake of it, but he never actually does anything. It's just, it's only, it's acting that's good in gifts. Like, if you assume that there's context and there's a reason for his character making that face expression, that's an amazing face expression. But if you're just making it for the sake of it, then you're just acting weird. Um, But like, yeah, I agree with you. He, he, they got him this time. This was the role for him. This made sense of him. And I, I actively like him now. I I would watch his next movie and be interested in it as a result. Um, It was so fun, ambitious, the cinematic experience. I watched this on a Saturday afternoon. Lighthouse Cinema absolutely jammed to the to the to bits. The again, just very similar to kind of Bo's Afraid energy, where people are kind of both laughing in shock, but also disbelief at what's going on on the screen. Not quite sure what they're seeing. I love movies that knock the audience off balance throughout. It was bonkers in the best of the way. Uh, it was hilarious, but also what I loved was it was really engaging, despite never actually revealing its plot until the very end it never had a plot and I, I it was the one thing i was watching i was like i love this movie and i love it minute to minute but what's what's the story what's actually happening here what are we building towards and then they just kind of pull back the curtain um amazing cast that never felt showy or uh gratuitous in any way yeah everyone kind of all chipped in to make the movie better and realized what it was. They got their moments, but they got in and got out and let Barry Kogan shine because they realized this is his show. It's not for everyone. And I do hear the criticisms of it. If you hate this movie, fine. That's a perfectly valid take on this movie because it is Marmite. Um, but like I said, I debated whether this was my favorite movie of the year before being like, all right, you need to let reason take over. Um, yeah. Like yourself, I, the, the, the end scene without giving anything away, 
was just a lap of honor for the movie. It was just like, and and it was a movie that deserved it. If 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 the movie wasn't as good as it was, that is one of the most, um, like audacious and unearned like actions ever and scenes ever. But the film was that good that you're like, yeah, I'm just gonna go with this absolute insanity. Um, really, really enjoyed it. A lot of fun, and again, just a movie that knocks you off balance. Uh, I, I always appreciate. That's both of our number nines. Very interesting. Okay, I wonder how similar the rest of our list would be. In it, yeah, you're I mean, number eight. That's 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 definitely one where like I can see if someone's like it was my favorite film. Oh, it was the worst film of the year. I was like, yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah. <laughs> both both fair. <laughs> yeah, here's one that is an honorable mention for you. Again, I have not gone back to the well to watch this one, but we have discussed it in the past, uh, and I was much more higher in it. That was Oppenheimer. Go for it. Um, again, I I have to see it again. I really feel like I should because. I really rode a high on this. A lot of people have also said like, oh, I wasn't a fan of this. People that I know that kind of go for these kind of big event films. I think first of all, it's so impressive to see how it's done. And obviously it's been helped by the whole Barbenheimer thing. But I, I feel like this is, it sounds so stupid because he's such an accomplished director, but this feels like Nolan's trying at least to mm. kind of claw, claw back some of the people that have criticisms about certain things. Like his plot can be thin or he can care about set pieces or he doesn't care about female characters. And you know, they're still you know, baby steps. <laughs> but I do think it, it feels like in some ways his most complete film. I do think it's really long for me. A lot of people were like, you should have cut the, 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 the last act, which is all courtroom stuff. That was the stuff I ate up. I loved mm. it. Um, Again, I, I feel like it improves on things like the sound mixing from those. I thought um, Kitty Murphy really disappeared into this role. Yeah, I mean, Nolan couldn't help himself with that kind of final line that was a little bit smug. But I did love it. I I think it's a great achievement, uh, both as far as its its critical reaction and its 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 commercial success. Again, would I feel the same if I watched it again? I don't know, but it was definitely one of the ones that was kind of a, a defining cinema experience for a lot of people this year. Um, and I don't know. I, I I really kind of got lost in the world. I thought it was really impressive and was more coherent than a lot of his films. To be honest, he definitely a bit of smelling his own farts like he often does. But uh, you know, I think it, overall. Bit less smoking sanctimonious than some of his other films, and again, I know a lot of people would say no. For me, it's up there at least. <laughs> okay, I think that's fair. Um, I know we did Barbenheimer reviews uh, on this show, and I was very much, yeah, it's fine, it's grand, but like Barbie is where I'm at. I went back and watched it with, and I said I would on the show with your thoughts in mind and I wanted to appreciate it and like it a bit more and I felt like it's one that would benefit from I felt like the first time I watched it it just threw me off so much because it just wasn't what I was expecting it to be and a second watch with that in mind of what judge it for what it is rather than what I'm expecting it to be that really helped and I liked it a lot more the second time and it wouldn't have even been as high as 11 uh, the first time out but the second time helped for me I thought this was really good there are, the cringy moments are cringy there's no way for Christopher Nolan to do a sex scene that isn't cringy no. uh, it's like George R. R. Martin writing them Um, but at the same time you know, once you know that's coming and once you've seen it, it's actually, you just roll your eyes and laugh and it becomes a feature, not a bug. It's like a, th a talking point of the movie. Um, But really enjoyed it. I thought there was a lot to like about it. Again, the performances, Killian Murphy in particular, great to see him finally. Christopher Nolan has always been his biggest fan and believer, but never believed him in, in enough to make him the central character. He got a three-hour uh, movie to himself here and he absolutely smashed it so yeah big fan of this movie and actually you helped me out with that 
Tom, there's a lot of synchronicity in our lists. Mm. Um, we had Saltburn both at number nine. We, I, I swear to God, we have not planned this out because we just talked about Oppenheimer at number at your number eight, and my number eight is Barbie. I'm not even messing. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> go for it. Look, you guys do not need me to tell you why Barbie is amazing, but I just want to point out a few things. One. It saved cinema. <laughs> like, let's just look at that, for example. How many screenings have you gone into in the cinema this year since Barbie happened that have been absolutely jammed? Why? Because Barbie made people realize going to the cinema and seeing this with people, seeing movies with people is fucking fun. It rescued cinema after COVID. That's incredible. Like I said, you don't need me explaining everything, but let's just take a minute to bask in how Greta, how fearless Greta Gerwig was in taking this kind of corporate juggernaut movie and using it to kind of usher in a new dawn of feminism, essentially. Let's take a minute to appreciate how there's this female-led movie about women and how amazing they are, and the star of it, the undoubted person you come out talking about the most, more than anyone, let's call a spade a spade, with the with time on our hands. Who are we still thinking about in that? We're thinking about Ryan Gosling. He stole the show in this movie. Let's take a minute to kind of shout out America Ferreira, who's a beautiful and talented Hollywood actress who managed to make it so believable that she was just a plain Jane normie that then crushed the monologue so hard that it inspired a generation of future feminists. I know we're still early in the day, but it's going to happen. Trust me. Uh, let's take a minute to kind of admire the fact that they wrote original material so iconic that as soon as I sing the words I'm just Ken, you're not listening to me anymore. You're singing it in your head anywhere else. I can hear you all singing it. Um, <laughs> It's just there. Um, Let's take a minute to remark about how incredible it was that in a world where any kind of nerdy or corporate property or anything popular that's led by women leads out an army of Blue tick Twitter incels um, trying to burn it at the stake. Barbie took swipes at every single man on the planet. Everyone got a lick here. I it, like I got a lick. It killed me with the. Let me explain how good the Godfather is. I'm literally doing that right now. I'm mansplaining Barbie. <laughs> you know what I mean? And landed them the shot so hard that we all just had to be like, "Yeah, you got me. Yeah, I just have to take that. There's just no coming back." I haven't even mentioned Margot Robbie yet and her amazingly performance. This ruled, and I felt so vindicated by this. Oppenheimer wasn't Barbenheimer wasn't a competition, but I remember coming out and being like, "Lads, Barbie is going to break records before it was released." I'm like, "This is going to do." amazing and everyone coming out and be like yeah I'll get the first week but Oppenheimer's gonna kill it eventually and then it just absolutely destroyed everything and everyone and saved cinema in the process an absolute triumph but you don't need me to tell you why because you've seen it because the entire fucking planet's seen it at this stage and theaters yeah. have stayed full since because of this movie because it made us like I said all remember how fun it is to be in the cinema together I loved it loved it loved it yeah definitely turned the world pink for a little while already didn't it yeah. Um. He's. By the way, Jer is more of a Barbie. I'm just Ken. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you know, I will say, even though I have not seen it again, I bought this on Blu-ray and I haven't bought Oppenheimer. Uh, so right. I'm looking forward to watching this again over the Christmas. And right. yeah, like I, I can only echo everything you said. It was. I think we were all just shocked at how damn good it was. Mm. Like, like you have to be cynical, but it's like a Barbie movie with Margot Robbie, and you're like, oh, okay. 
yeah they got it (laughs) it seems like a fan poster online you know yeah but man like everyone here crushed it uh and it stayed so far in the cultural content uh consciousness since and yeah it's a triumph i think like it's such a a monumental moment for for women in cinema and it's funny because like uh the director um greta gerwig was even like she wants said she wants to become a bit more of a christopher nolan she kind of handed Nolan uh, his dinner, you know, and <laughs> said, "Off you go." Um, but no, it's it's I'm just it's so good to see a, a movie like this succeed, and hopefully, hopefully, and this is maybe why it's down here. I'm very cynical. Hollywood doesn't learn the long lesson yeah. like they did when there was the Lego Movie, where I was like, "Every toy needs a movie." No. Yeah, <laughs> please don't do that, Mattel. Stop. But yeah, definitely one uh, that I think is is justified. I will be in a lot of people's lists. Agreed. Another one uh, for me, my number eight is one that I think, sorry, my number seven, I should seven, say, yeah. is one that is going to be uh, in a lot of places people's this as well. And for a long time, it was up really high and I kind of panicked <laughs> and hey. swapped it around. And I'm going to blame one specific person for this, Matt Schuyler, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I will explain when I get to another pick on my list. But yeah, it is uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Okay, I have that higher. Um, but mm, I'm very okay. intrigued to hear your discussion on it. Yeah. So we will, we will discuss it. We will, we will get to it. All right. I'm going to go to my number seven now. I have Pearl in at number seven. Actually, the top horror movie I have here. Okay. Not in my top 10. Not in your top 10. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. So when I reviewed this at the time, maybe I got a bit excited. I said, Mia Goth is going to take over the world. She's going to get her own Marvel franchise. All movies will have Mia Goth in it in some way because she's going to be the person that everyone is going to be talking about after seeing this movie. I got very excited. I still do think all those things, but not. it just hasn't happened yet, okay? But all of that excitement was caused by how fucking good Pearl was. It's the prequel, if you haven't seen it, to Mia Goth and Ty West's horror trilogy that followed X, and it's going to conclude next year with Maxine. Uh, X was a fun but kind of standard horror movie that like had a lot of interesting ideas. It had a really delicious A24-style instinct towards the fucked-up uh, and sordidness. They kind of gave it legs, and you're like, I can see a franchise like this working if they kind of blew it up a little bit. Uh, but you'd have never, ever predicted that from th- this from that movie, though. They kind of filled in the backstory for the elderly woman who's from X who's going to haunt your nightmares. Uh, but they almost take a, a leaf from a couple of things. It feels a bit like... The early episodes of WandaVision where they're kind of set in the past, but there's a darkness looming over it. And it's like on one hand, on the face value, it's like this happy, merry movie, blah, blah, blah. But there's just this like horrible stuff is going to happen. And I don't know how I'm going to feel. Um, But also it feels a bit like the Wizard of Oz, the Wizard of Oz, if Dorothy had a horrific childhood. Do you know what I mean? Um, The tension building is absolutely unreal. Again, I love spending time with a with a character and where nothing needs to happen but we just understand why they are the way they are so that when stuff happens it just like Pearl is essentially living in a void here. She's got a difficult home. Um, it's amid the Spanish flu, so she's kind of got cabin fever, and it's very clever in how it kind of it was written during COVID over uh, FaceTime actually. Uh, and they have that COVID cabin fever vibe. Um, in that, but she's waiting for her husband to come home from the war. Um, and you can just see her slowly kind of lose her mind, culminating in kind of an incredible 
finale and vicious. There's this seven minute monologue that she goes on where she just basically reveals everything about her character and why she is the way she is that would feel expository and would feel excessive in any other movie, but just the movie has earned it and Mia Gott just sells it. Um, the, the credit scene is just phenomenal and how the fact that that was improvised as well. Um, I don't want to get into what it is, but it was totally improvised. They just kept rolling and that became what the credits are. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. If X had potential, this is that potential realized. For me, it's an absolute creative masterpiece that'll totally trigger your COVID anxiety and fear again. Um, and I can't wait for Maxine and whatever got and or West Ham coming up. I'm a big fan of both of them after this because this just blew me away. This is for me an example of the opposite of the cinema experience where I had a terrible time at the cinema. Right, <laughs> a right. weird time at the cinema. Um, I really did enjoy this. I preferred it to X. I think yeah. X kind of is in, has some good ideas, but it's basically just only interesting if you're a fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Um, this kind of felt like, yeah, definitely like they realized their potential. Mia Goth was amazing. Um, I don't know how to, I'm trying to think of an eloquent way to say this, but I was very distracted during this movie because people a few rows ahead of me decided that the movie was quite sexy um, and kind of got into their own sex scene. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and th- so, so that was going on. And I was like, is that what's going, is that what's going on? They just, they just walked in half a few, they're just left. And then I was like, what's, oh, the credits. Okay. And, and then to make it even weirder, by the way, I left the cinema and as I was driving home, there was a woman in the middle of the road waving me down. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get killed. Um, this is Pearl. Here she is. Um, and yeah, she, I, had to, I ended up having to drive this total stranger of a woman with very little English about 40 minutes away. Um, and ter- totally terrified uh, that she was a psychopath. And then she probably realized afterwards, oh God, what if he's a psychopath? So um, there was a lot going on that day. <laughs> I see why you were distracted. I did yeah, like yeah, it that was, makes sense. I, I, I really appreciated this insight into your life. I wasn't yeah, expecting it today. This is, but this is a normal day. This was like a, this is just a Friday night, you know. Um, but yeah, it, I, again, I really did enjoy it. Definitely, Wizard of Oz is one that came to my head as well. I love the kind of homages uh, to it. I thought it was very interesting. Again, Mia Goth, I think, is one that's absolutely one to watch. Um, yeah, she was also in Infinity Pool this year, which I didn't like quite as much. Yeah, so uh, although she was kind of hilarious in it. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, I think. It's definitely one for the horror fans. I think this is hopefully more indicative of what we're going to see with Maxine as opposed to X. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was definitely uh, justified in a, in a top 10. If, when I see it again, the voice devoid of all those weird consequences. Yeah. Uh, maybe then I'll have a, a better judgment of the film. Or you're just like, you go see it again. You're like, it's happening again. How is the same thing happening twice? Mom, Dad, stop! <laughs> <laughs> um, good stuff, right. In at your number six. My number seven, uh, we're talking about all these films that uh, could win awards. This is one that's already won the big award at Cannes, Anatomy of a Fall. I have that higher in my list. Interesting. To be continued. Yeah. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Intriguing. Okay. My number six is something that was in your honorable mentions. It's Marcel Deschamps with shoes on. And if you haven't seen this yet, this is a great one to pick for Christmas. And it's one you can watch with the kids as well, Um, if that's what you're looking for. It's essentially just a movie about a shell who talks and wears shoes and lives with his granny in an Airbnb rental and they watch 60 Minutes together and a new tenant just decides to make a documentary about them. And it just made me smile for the entirety of its 90-minute runtime. It was an absolute delight. A really heartwarming, gorgeous treat 
gifted to us by uh, Dean Fleischer-Camp and Jenny Slate, who wrote it together. Um, Fleischer-Camp directed it, and they both voiced the two lead characters based off a series of stop-motion animation uh, shorts that they previously released. Fun fact about this, and I think this really enhanced my enjoyment of the movie, learning this, although, like, sorry for their troubles. They're actually, they were a married couple who broke up during production here. And I think you can really feel that because that becomes a theme throughout it. And it really becomes, there's a, there's a heart to this and there's a hurt to this and there's a pain to this that you're just not expecting in what is essentially just a fun throwaway movie that's really, really funny. But like, again, it's, it's kind of popcorn-y and that just gives it a depth that just takes it into a new level. Marcel, who's kind of voiced by Slate, is one of the most lovable characters you're ever going to encounter this year. And his rambling observations and asides will make you cry laughing, but also question your own existence and why we do the things we do. There's a whole bit, my favorite quote that I keep, I just never forget is like, um, where they say, I don't like the phrase come out in the wash because one time one of my cousins fell asleep in someone's pocket and came out of the wash a completely different person. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just that kind of clever way. The jokes are like a joke a minute and you never see them coming because it's just an extra observation. It's just such clever, unique kind of rhythmic humor. Uh, if you like that kind of random humor, but you're also looking for something really wholesome this Christmas, like I said, you can watch it with the kids or you can watch it by yourself if you just need cheer enough. Uh, this is an absolute gem. I loved it. Uh, it was in your honorable mentions. Talk to me yeah. about Marcel the Chef. Uh, I, I mean, the, the key word is charming. Like it was such a, a little gem of a film. I saw this just, you know, got out of work, went straight forward. And it was again, it was adults. It was some children in there. But it really is just such a nice and sincere film. Which it doesn't, it feels like something like this could so easily not have been that. Um, but yeah, it's almost like after a while, you almost forget you're watching a weird shell character. You're just like, oh, well, he's, it's so identifiable in his themes. Like it's, yeah. it's quirky. Uh, maybe you could say sometimes it's trying too hard in the hipster department. It definitely feels like, you know, if, if Wes Anderson made an A24 film, like, um, but I thought, I thought it was such a sweet film. Uh, it's one that I think I am going to watch over Christmas because again, it, it, it just, everyone that left that cinema left with a smile on their face yeah. you know and they felt like a little bit like like i wish marcel was real you know yeah. and i get to, that's probably one of the few characters i can say this year where i'm like oh that's a character that i'd love to have just seen knocking but i want to see more of marcel i want to know what's going on uh nice. but yeah it was it was such a sweet and sincere film it was lovely nice. okay good stuff that's my number six what we're into the top fives now so what is your number five all right shout out to matt skyler so um <laughs> this is um <laughs> Like I said, animation has had an amazing year. Um, and, you know, so many of these films were up high on my list. Even though Marcel was in my top four, probably towards the start of the year. Mm. Um, and then as things happened, things kind of dropped. And I saw uh, Spider-Man and he was like, is that, he's like, he's like, what's your favorite film here? And I was like, Spider-Man. And then eventually he said something that was kind of nigging at me as well. And he was like, what about Turtles though? Oh, and I was kind of, and I was kind of like, that's what I've been thinking. What is he? Yes. He might be right though. Is it anywhere on your list? It's not on my list, but I do okay. love it. Let me let me explain why I think this this Go hit so it. hard. This is one of only, maybe one of only two films. Or maybe I didn't see any other films twice in cinema this year, but I saw this twice in cinema. I didn't see that for Spider Verse. This made me re- rediscover my love for my first, the first thing I was mad for, a, a nerdy kid about was Turtles. And to do that in a 31-year-old jaded cynical man is very <laughs> impressive. Um, I feel like when it comes to the animation, it, it was my favorite 
out of the styles because it has such a weird ugliness to it that I really <laughs> enjoyed. Again, weird. I like the ugliness. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's so much things that are just so fantastically done here. Uh, it's such a simple and short film. I found like Spider Verse was very long in comparison, but this was such a breezy film. Yeah. Um, where I, I've been recommending it to everyone. I'm like, look, I know we're done with Turtles. It's been going forever, but give this one a chance. Because the, the relationship between all the turtles is so sweet, feels so genuine. Masterstroke getting teenagers to do the voices Yes. Um, for this. Um, it was just really funny and kind of weird. Like, I, I don't think I've ever... Th- all this year, anytime I grab milk from the fridge or I see a cow, I think of Spinter going, oh, don't get milked. I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> um, but I think it was such a, an interestingly done film. It's one that took a property that we're that I think so, so easy we could have been sick of. Uh, yeah. feels like we get a Ninja Turtles movie every other year. Like, and it made something that was so kind of sweet and wholesome, funny, had some cool action, great animation. So my favorite soundtrack of the year, um, mm. it's just full of like East Coast rap bangers. I'm like, yes. it's it, like, I don't know if you remember, there was a Tom and Jerry movie that came out a few years ago and it had like a surprisingly amazing soundtrack. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> it was like, why is it? Why is this in terms of movie? I don't know. Okay. Well, East Coast, I guess that works, right? Okay. <laughs> Let's shut up and play it. I'm like, I've never been playing music in the car for people. And I'm like, what's this? I'm like, it's the Ninja Turtle soundtrack. They're like, no. Mm. <laughs> I, I loved it. It just put a big smile on my face and made me rediscover my love for turtles. So I think that's really a driving factor for me here. But yeah, uh, Matt Skyler was right. This is over Spider-Verse for me. <laughs> Fair. Uh, an absolute cracker of a movie. I, I loved it. And again, like it's just because it's not in my top 20 doesn't mean that I didn't. Um, I just feel so safe now. And Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, if they're behind these projects, they just get fandom. They get why we like it. I spent so much time this year loving their properties like Gen V, Invincible. They just get it. like, And they get why the fans enjoy it. And... I knew this was going to be good. It didn't let me down. I laughed so hard, so much. Um, and yeah, I loved it. There's not much more I can add, but it's a great choice. And yeah, I I, I don't blame you having it in the top five. Top five. Um, I think it justifies it. It's, it's such a good movie and I can't wait to watch it again. We're now into my top five and in at my number five. Oh, I'm wondering. It's, well, well it, can't, either, it has to be either higher or not in your list at all. But it's a good one. Roy Lane. I do not have it in my list. I okay. did really enjoy it. Okay. But and I actually recommended it, but wasn't one that I loved too much. And I think it's more personal bias when it comes to like really London stuff. I don't know why it kind of irks me in a weird yeah. way. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I thought it was it was a fantastic it was definitely the best rom com, not just this year, maybe in a couple of years. Uh, I love yeah. it really. Yeah. For me, I'm a big fan of sorry, I just need to cough. I'm a big fan of comedies. And 2023 was such a great year for the kind of return of the kind of great old school comedy throwbacks to the modern kind of peak that we'd experience, like Superbad, Step Brothers, Zoolander. Um, those were all kind of right up my alley. And for what it's worth, by the way, and I want to give like kind of a special shout out and, and the smuggle in here, uh, seeing Bottoms in the cinema was the most fun comedy experience of the year I had. Uh, Joyride is also up there as well because it was just the crowd were just giddy and the laughs were just uh, you know a laugh a minute but this little charming British rom-com got into my soul in a way that others just couldn't in just 80 minutes that breezed by and absolutely blew me away there's a touch of 
Did you ever see the TV show I May Destroy You? Out a couple no, of years ago? I have I have it, but I have not watched it yet. Okay, yeah. Well, like again, if you don't like kind of that South London style, then then maybe <laughs> it's not for you. But I I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, but it has that both universal relatability. But it's also extremely specific to people who live in South London at the same time. But you don't have to see it. You don't have to get it. You don't have to know the language. It's it's relatable enough that it kind of works around that. Um, like I May Destroy You, it kind of, you arrive in the world and it's fully cooked. The characters don't need developing. Everything just feels full and familiar. Uh, and, and while also being kind of big and full of the unknown as well in the way kind of the world is when you're in your 20s. Everything seems like an adventure. Everything seems exciting because you're seeing things and experiencing things for the first time. Why this ranks above other comedies though is that it never feels like it's following that kind of great American comedy tradition of that formula that's tried and tested where they're just building up and building up to this big scene and something crazy or something gross is going to happen and that's the set piece that it's going to be iconic and that's where all the gifts come from. It's literally, it's 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 a full movie, but it's really effortless effortless and permanently hilarious. It feels like we're just kind of dropping into the lives of these people who for 80 minutes and they just happen to be amazing crack. Particularly, I loved uh, Vivian Opera as Yas, um, who I've no doubt is become, going to become an absolute superstar off all this. And even though you kind of walk away from this feeling for me, I felt it was a bit unfair that it was only eighty minutes, and I and it like, I think Roy Lane two, Roy Roy Lane two would really cheapen this. I wouldn't mind seeing maybe a, a TV show with these characters because I I just love the characters so much and I just wanted to be friends with them and spend more time with them in a TV show kind of way. But when you look at how tight the scripts by Nathan Bryan and Tom Elliott is, with every line telling you so much about every character, like. Yes, at one stage describes herself as interested in other people's messes. And you just hear that and you know everything about her straight away. And it's just such a great deep script for that reason. Along with how kind of beautiful and vibrant that the director, Rain Alan Miller, makes out London and how uh, even the editing by Victoria Boydell uh, makes this dose of insanity just glide along effortlessly. Uh, you can't help but feel like they, you can't, you think back and you're like, yeah, but what didn't they have? And they had everything and it was just in 80 minutes. Um, you just love these characters. And like I said, you just want to spend more time with them. So the only question I really have left to ask is Tom. Do you wave at boats or do you just hate joy? <laughs> I know it might seem like I would never wave at a boat, but it's funny after seeing this, I actually was on a boat on the dance uh, and it was like, wave, everybody wave. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely wave at a boat. I feel like I have to now. I live beside, like, I, I, I live beside water. So we'd see boats going by quite regularly. And I feel like I'm like, uh, I don't want to be yeah. that guy. <laughs> it's going to stick with you. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. should say, actually, like, when it comes to that stuff, I think actually what, what would be more accurate to me is like rom coms generally are like make me feel uncomfortable i don't know yeah. i don't know saccharine stuff or the cold heart that i have but uh, yeah this would definitely be probably one of the best rom-coms i've seen in the last few years uh, i really did enjoy it. that's actually one that i'm looking now where i put it in my rankings i'm like that probably should be higher it was got <laughs> fucked over by the the nebulous star system where somehow most things are three stars for no reason <laughs> <laughs> interesting okay we're getting deep into the list now in it you're number four I just mentioned a genre I don't like, and I always look an absolute twat when I say this because I've said it on my own podcast. I say it constantly on uh, Top of the Pods, uh, which you can find on YouTube as well, where we take ten top 10 lists and then rank them in our own way. Uh, and I always am like, coming of age films, bleh. Mm -hmm. And then I always have to eat my words because there's so many good ones. 
And um, this is another one where I just never expected this to be so high. Um, but I think it was one where the audience I was with uh, just ate it up. And I don't know why, but if you can make a 31-year-old man feel like a teenage girl, you've done something right. And that was, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Okay. For yeah. me, I didn't really get this. So I'm looking okay, forward because you have a history of making me appreciate things in a way that I haven't before. So I, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this. Oh, now I wish I had more notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. This, I don't know. There was just something that was, there was such a pure heart to this. Um, it's obviously a book that's been so pivotal to uh, to growing women in America for decades now. And I thought it was so refreshing to see a film aimed at young women that wasn't like nudge, nudge, wink, wink, or or like trying to impress, you know, certain people or here's how you should be as a woman. It was just like, this is what life is like as a teenage girl. And there was lots of moments where that was terrifying. But it also, there was lots of moments where there was a kind of a sweetness to it. Um, I thought Abby Ryder Fortson just melted my heart in this role. She was so likable. Uh, she felt like, so. I, I just think the characters in it felt so real. Um, I, I feel like it's one that, you know, and obviously there's all sorts of conversations in America about burning books and, and these kind of things. And I feel like this is a film that should be shown to so many people um, when they're that age. Because for me, it was like, you know, I, I've never been a teenage girl, not to shock anyone. I know I have amazing bone structure, like, but um, like it made me kind of think about things from another perspective. Not that I never thought of them that way, but it really made me kind of go, huh. It made me assess things in my life where I was like, I've never kind of seen things from that way. Mm. I've never really thought of of this, the struggles of a teenage girl through that lens. And, you know, it is a kind of a, a period piece as well uh, from memory. Uh, and I think that kind nearly of nearly is a period piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hey. <laughs> Damn, it was right there, Tom. <laughs> um, well, I thought it was such um, it was just such a welcome breath of fresh air for me. Um, I I thought that the the kind of relationship between um, you know, uh, Margaret and her mother was so lovely. Um, because again, you know, as a man, it's it, it feels like at least in my upbringing, it was like okay, something something to do with sex or something. Get your dad in there. So it was nice to see kind of the other way around uh, for me. Um, and I feel like there was like just parts of this where it just felt really, it felt real. Um, it, it really, really hit a nerve with me. Um, it's also refreshing to see a kind of a, a film that does talk about women's issues at that age. Because um, I don't feel like that's often a thing. I feel like uh, we see a lot of things about the male experience. Um so to see it this, I think, uh, and, you know, directed so, you know, so earnestly and sincerely, I don't know, it really hit a nerve with me this year. Um, okay. I thought uh, Rachel McAdams was great. I love the soundtrack. Uh, I think the fact, um, you know, as I said, the fact they made a man in his 30s feel touched and emotional is uh, a real testament to uh, the work of uh, Freeman Craig, I think was the director of this. I think it was, was it produced by James L. Brooks as well. I don't know. It was one that I think it was the sheer surprise really did something for me here. Um, I think it's on Amazon Prime. I'm going to watch it again over Christmas. It just, I don't know. It really touched me in a way I didn't expect it. Uh, and I feel like it did such a, with such sincerity and honesty that I couldn't help but be impressed by it. Okay. Um, this may be one that, similar to you with Pearl, I had an experience that 
kind of might have thrown off my perception of this movie. Maybe I need to give it another watch. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's. A, I thought it was a fine movie. I thought it was a bit too. I'm a bit cynical now, and whenever I hear something, whenever I watch something that I'm like, this is the great American movie. Do you know what I mean by that? Like it's yeah. and it's got like a formula, and you know what's coming, and you're like, oh, here's where the obstacles come, and here's where life gets difficult. But it was like again, it was likable enough that like it overcame a lot of that for me, and. You know, I did buy into the characters. I bought into the relationships. Um, for me, though, my experience watching this was very random because this was another movie where I think I saw two or three movies that day and this was just like kind of the last one that I saw. And I'm just literally just bouncing around the cinema from screen to screen and then I'm walking into this one. And I have like, I'm a, a big nerd. I'm a local cinema at this stage. I'll know me. Um, and I have like my favorite seats that I'll go to as any true cinephile like ourselves would in certain screens like our areas we like to be or, or we have our own thought process behind it probably a good discussion for another day um but like in this particular screen the only screen that i like is it's a really tiny screen is in the very corner at the bottom and as i walked in i noticed there was only one other person in the screen but it did fill up a little bit afterwards it wasn't jam-packed or anything but there was a girl sitting by herself like on one of the row seats and she kind of just looked at me for a while. And originally, being an egomaniac, I'm like, does she fancy me? <laughs> but then, like, <laughs> I was like, no, she's looking at me. And then I'm like, what the hell? Because I'm by myself, like. Um, and then as I as more people walked in, I noticed more of them looking at me because it's just gangs of girls walking in watching this <laughs> of a certain age as well. Because it's not something that teenage girls are going to see. It's not Barbie. It's something that like people in their twenties and early thirties are going to see who'd have read the books. Um, and like again, then the movie started and I got the team and then I, I read open it afterwards. It all made sense. They're going, "What is your man doing here by himself in the corner?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I get it now." And the entire movie, I was just kind of distracted, going, "Why were they looking at me? Like, what's going on?" And my social anxiety was triggered, so um, maybe that impacted things for me. But again, you've yeah. intrigued me, so no, I, I you- definitely get you because, like, when I saw it was a preview screening, when I saw it, so everyone just went because it was like I don't know a week earlier or something. Yeah. So the thing was packed, and there definitely was kind of an uneasiness from the men in the audience. Right? So like, can I can I laugh at that? I must increase my bust and then all of a sudden by the end everyone was won over yeah that that was a great experience that 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 that's particularly like i was the exact same because i'm like i don't know if that's okay for it's definitely okay if you've lived it but like if i'm laughing at like young girls talking about their bust i'm like what does that say about me again social anxiety triggered by the few looks (laughs) that i got and way overthought um so yeah i'll give it another look and see i feel like we both got very psychological on that one there (laughs) who expects it there god it's me margaret like what does it say about us though that's a good movie that's a good that's exactly what these type of movies that exist for in a number four i've got spider-verse um which me which for me right i just want to put it into perspective because for me this had no right to be as good as it was into the spider-verse was successful for such singular and you would think unrepeatable reasons of trying to do too much and somehow succeeding on every level to deliver maybe the best ever animated superhero movie for me. Not the best even of the year for Todd, but for me, maybe the best ever. Um, But what did they attempt with the sequel? Not only did they bring back the entire cast back together, despite ending the first movie in a way that made that next to impossible. They did that effortlessly, by the way, but they expanded the Spider-Verse to bring in almost every iteration of Spider-Man you can think of in a way that attracts, but can only piss off the nerdiest of Spider-Nerds that they're trying to get in the door. Again, they succeeded on that. 
they had to keep the story central on Miles, Gwen, and the core group of lead characters that they'd introduced, but also they had to give us new characters to care about and find time for them within the kind of labyrinth to shine and connect with us. They had to find a villain to set all these things into motion. And they went with one that I don't think any one of us would have predicted they would have gone with. All the while, they had to kind of maintain the beautiful artwork that became a trademark of the original. At some stage in that process of trying to do that many things, the artistic integrity of it all should have been compromised. Or on the flip side, it should have alienated a decent portion of the massive audiences it attracted by being too nerdy and niche. None of that happened. Instead, they delivered another fucking masterpiece on par with the first one. Imagine like, for example, Tom, imagine I told you, did you hear they found the Mona Lisa part two? which is her just sitting there in the same way, but this time she had her arms folded and she definitely was smiling. And you'd say, that's a fucking joke. There's no way they can redo the Mona Lisa. The Vigi didn't even try, but across the, the Spider-Verse, redid the fucking Mona Lisa. Now, that's not to say there wasn't a cost on all this, okay? Sony had to deny allegations of poor working conditions after over 100 artists left the project before its completion. Even before the strike, we were getting internal leaks that came out that said there'd been zero progress in the sequel and it wasn't even close to making its March 2024 window. I think after the strikes, we can safely say without a trailer or any news or release date or any word from this, that that is now way off the table. But that's behind the scenes and that's affecting the next movie. And can they do it a third time? Probably not. Okay, let's call it a spade a spade. But on screen, for me, we got an absolute treat. And the only reason I didn't consider it perfect, the only thing that held it back from being my favorite movie of the year was because essentially it's only half a movie, uh, which again, maybe something we look back on and we're thankful for when the entirety of the series comes out and it's perfect. But without an ending, I can only have it as four. The same reason with Harry Potter Deadly Hallows Part 1, I'm like, it's half a story and you just didn't have a full ending. You had, a, you had you, you got us to kind of the middle of the second act. You literally cut it off halfway through. Can they redo the Mona Lisa yet again? The Mona Lisa tree, uh, tree Mona, tree Lisa. I'm a little bit more cautious after the production stories came out, but I was skeptical of this and they did the thing again. So who knows? Loved it. Spider-Verse in a four. Yeah, no, I can't even argue. This was like my number one for most of the year. Like, um, I think it's gorgeous every single frame. But as obviously, I'm glad you addressed the cost of it all because there that has been a big and a backlash to the whole thing. Um, yeah, I think it's one of the best superhero films, one of the best animated films. Uh, it's amazing all around. The voice acting is outstanding. It's creative. It managed to you know make what everyone else is doing with the multiverse seem kind of dull by comparison. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could have just watched it for hours, and I think, yeah, that did take away my enjoyment. The fact that it is half a film, and I remember when I watched this in movies, not in movies, um, <laughs> I watched this in the cinema. Um, someone obviously, or a few people obviously, were not aware of that, mm. and they were just like, Oh, what? And yeah, I kind of got it, even though I knew there was another part going, and yeah, yeah it yeah. seems like that could be a while away yet, but I think. It's a phenomenal film. It's a phenomenal triumph. Um, I feel like if they nail the third one, they've genuinely got an argument for the best superhero trilogy ever. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, I mean, something that's absolutely breathtakingly creative, uh, inventive, interesting, and and funny. Uh, I mean, you care about how how it's hard to get excited for a lot of superhero films when this one is out there. Uh, just because the characters in this, like Miles and Gwen, like care about them so much. Uh, already after just two films. So yeah, I could I could see an argument for this going way up my list, uh, and I wouldn't even uh, detract anyone that had a number one film of the year because it definitely was a phenomenal film. Fantastic. Now 
we're getting into the metal stages, guys. Top three. And there's Ooh. one that definitely hasn't been mentioned that I think we're both going to have, and one that is still outstanding that you've mentioned already. So interesting. Okay. Inter- I'm, I'm really, very I'm, excited to compare notes. I'm really nervous now. I'm like, God, what should I have up here? <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, this is one that had so much hype behind it. Um, and it's funny, I said that rom-coms aren't for me. This was one that where it was about romance uh, and kind of missed romance, misconnections, uh, past lives. We've got the same number, number three. three same oh, hey. number three. Yeah, love it. Yeah, like I, I even wrote here movies about love aren't usually for me. Um, I thought this was excellent though because yeah, it was less about love. It was more about kind of the lies kind of unlived. And I think that's something that haunts all of us um, that we think like, what if I had done this? What if I had done this different? And to have kind of the specter of someone from your past come back it just felt so raw. It was I was almost emotionally manipulative, but just brutally honest as well. Um, I just love how it didn't really make anyone out to be the bad guy either. Yes. It'd be so lazy. A much lesser film would have been like, guess what? He's an asshole. No, he wasn't. It was just two people that could have been together and yeah. didn't end up together. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so, uh, I mean, it just touched me deeply uh it felt like you know you were in the shoes of the characters who missed the love connection all the way through uh and as much as you kind of wanted them to get together you also didn't want them to kind of ruin the lives they had it yeah. was really like it, it's, it's a movie that kind of stirs conflict in you i think like that's very rare with some of these films uh with the romance movies because it's so easy to just say oh he's the bad guy go with the good guy go with the mm. prince and say you know um but this feels like it had that um i don't know uh it feels like the final scenes especially were so so powerful uh, like that ending scene, if like there's a big moment of kind of relief uh, or a release of emotion, I should say. Uh, and I think everyone in the cinema watching it felt that at that moment. Um, Greta Lee is fantastic in the film uh, for a debut feature as well. Phenomenal um, that someone could come off as this accomplished just on one film. I, I thought it was a fantastic film. Uh, definitely yeah. belongs in my number three. Yeah. And I think it's something that, again, same tree for me. Um which means that two and one get very interesting, but let's save that for then. <laughs> I think what's so great about this is we, like you said, we all have a past lives moment. What I, what I, what I joked about at the time was it's going to spark like a trend of like people just showing back up into people. They didn't really know that well. So, and it's like, look, it's happening. The movie, it's yeah. me. And it's like, I got to I saw you like past lives on Facebook. Remember me? <laughs> yeah. I got a restraining order against you 15 years ago, Gregory. That still stands. Um, this isn't a past lives moment. Um, but all of us have those kind the past lives sliding door type moments in our lives where you think back to an experience or a choice you made or someone you liked and you're like that might have been my soulmate but then life just kind of happened and it just didn't turn out that way and it makes no sense but we can all just relate to that and Celine's song tells it so like you said disciplined and so real and so authentic and just never ever cheapens anything by kind of rushing towards the end of a will they won't they or kind of again just selling out for the sake of a, a movie trope that would have been so lazy and cheap to do so um 
like you know you had Greta Lee as Nora and you had Teo Yu as Hei Sung and the question is if they have Inyan which I loved and that just made me think about things differently which is kind of a Korean concept based around fate but specific to love Um, it's a very similar concept to the Black Mirror episode Hang the DJ of you know in a thousand simulations would you get with this person a thousand times but what if you didn't and what if one simulation was just completely different the script is just gorgeous at times with a special hat tip to someone who doesn't get a lot of credit for this, but I loved, uh, and that's John McGarrow who played Nora's husband, Arthur in this, who gets many of the best lines in this. Like I loved the joke where he just starts going, I am clearly the villain in this. Like, and that's the <laughs> thing. They don't have a villain in this. Everyone's likable, but he's, he's, observing that from afar and going I'm the evil white American here in this amazing love story and I'll just see myself out here or telling Nora like again on a, on a different profound level like just the way that they express this is just so beautifully written and perfect like when he says you dream in Korean uh, you dream in a, in a place and in a language where I can never go I can never access a part of you and Again, he just feels, he just sees Hei Sung and how he can access that part of her. And it's just an uncomfortable, but it's so real. It's so like, we've all had partners before that we were like, ah, fuck, they can just get to an area of that person that just I'll never be able to because they just had experiences that I'll never have. But for me, what I love about this is the best stuff happens in this off the page. As amazing as the script is, it's about the little choices and the crucial choices that Lee and you make, um, like whether they stand together or they stand apart, if they kind of meet each other's gaze, even if it's through a screen. The, the, like the scene you're speaking about at the end where nothing happens, but everything happens at the same time. They're just standing there and their bodies are just slightly moving and it's just the most gripping scene you're ever going to watch. Yeah. And you don't know if they're going to kiss passionately. You're like, maybe I'm just putting that on them. Like, and that's mm. not what's happening. Or if they're just going to shake hands and be like, yeah, see you later. Uh, and that yeah. was it. I can't do it justice, but the lead performances are so precise and their chemistry is just jumping off the screen. I haven't met one person who's seen this movie who doesn't absolutely love it. And for good reason, it's a strong contender for best picture. And though it's not top of my list, I will not begrudge it if it wins it. It is phenomenal. It deserves the award success that's coming its way. It's just a case of what it gets and what it doesn't. Uh, loved it, loved it, loved it. Past lives. That, that's fantastic. Now, we're into our top two. We know we're not going to have the same top two, so it won't be a repeat of last year's because there's one outstanding from your list that's still on mine. So, in at your number two. This is where it gets really spicy. God, here, this is where the, the fight starts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, you know, I think with a lot of movies, we've kind of said a lot about how sometimes you bring your own experiences to a film. Um, this is one that debuted a lot of places last year. It was the start of this year uh, in Ireland. Uh, it was a small international film called Close. I have it on my list. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> okay, so should I stop talking? Real. Discuss it because I have it higher on my list. Ah, there we go. You've got Oh, it. my God. You I wonder where it could be on his list. <laughs> <laughs> Close is my number one, so we will discuss oh. it. Don't worry. Love it. Love the fact that you have it too. Amazing. Um, and deserves it. We will talk about that. Well, first of all, we'll get to something you've already spoken about, okay? Anatomy of a Fall um, mm. is my number two. And it's just so weird that I've gone around the past few weeks whistling 
to myself 50 cents PIMP, the instrumental version. And it's because of this incredible French art house murder mystery courtroom drama, <laughs> which by the way, if you go to the instrumental version of PIMP, which I have done many times because I'm not messing. <laughs> if you've gone and you looked at the top comment, the top comment is sounds like the perfect song to fall out of a window to, <laughs> which is just incredible that that many people have seen it and get it. This won the Pandora cans. I said at the time I reviewed it and I stand over it that this might be the best courtroom drama ever made. And I don't believe I'm being hyperbolic there. Justine Trier creates this almost unbearable tension around whether Sandra Huller's the character killed her husband or if indeed he fell out of a window as she claimed. Uh, what I admire most though is similar to past lives it's so disciplined it's never in a rush towards a finish it's not about did they or didn't they although it also totally is but it's not about answering that question for you. You're left yourself to debate that in a way that never feels like a cop-out because it's so specific and rich in detail, character and scripting. You're also ridiculously off-balance the entire movie, needing to know if Fuller is who she seems, but also in no rush to know at the same time because you're just enjoying the story unfolding in front of you. Uh, they could have easily... Had a scene in the middle. And again, like similar to what you said about past lives, lesser movies would have had a scene in the middle, which kind of gave the game away. And then now it's like, oh, that, that's the killer. That's what happened. Or this is a twist. And now everyone else, and we've delivered the secret, but nobody else knows. But that would have totally cheapened it and taken the fun and the tension out of it all. What I love about this as well is, and again, we're just saying similar things that we said about past lives. There's no antagonist here. Um, and again, the script and performances have empathy for every single one of its characters while also admitting at the same time that they're all flawed and they all have biases and they all have prejudices. Using these movies either you have the defendant who's clearly guilty and we're rooting for their demise and to get their comeuppance or they're wrongfully accused and the prosecutor is the villain. In this case, you have Antoine Renartz as the lead prosecutor. He's squarely on the side of justice and just rootlessly good at his job. And I loved him because this is a long film with essentially it's a true, it's a two and a half hour movie with the second half, just pretty much all courtroom based. And it's just a, a courtroom setup. A lot of it is just interviewing. It's just talking. It mustn't cost that much money um, because it is just people talking in rooms, but he is both theatrical and, makes the long courtroom scenes scenes where he's in feel cinematic while also at the same time being really authentic and really impassioned in his performances. And then there's a couple of scenes within this that kind of, the word breathtaking can sound cliche, but you generally don't want to breathe because you feel like you're on the cusp of it all unraveling and everything you thought you knew is going to come apart at the seams. There's one argument scene in this, which mar which reminded me and, and matches and maybe outdid Mara's story for the intensity of it. Well, the final testimony, and I'm not going to say anything more than that, that we experienced just was such a surprise and just never felt possible from the person that delivered it up until that point in the movie. And then they just come out and it's like, I did not know you were that fucking good of an actor. Holy crap. It's long at two and a half hours, but that's a feature, not a bug. For me, I was gripped from start to finish every second here. Like, listening to the best murder mystery podcast where you're just dripping over and soaking up every little bit of detail they're willing to give you. Uh, it was so close to my number one and I don't begrudge anyone who says it's their favorite movie of the year or any of the award success that's no doubt in its future. Anatomy of a Fall, 
I loved it. It's in my number two, um, but you guessed my number one. So I want to leave a bit of tension actually for your number one, but um, sure. so we will, we'll get to it. We'll discuss close next, but I want to hear your thoughts on Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah, also I should say this is another one that I have a proper full review coming up uh, hopefully next week. Nice. And I'm also looking at my top 10 now and I'm like, I put Ninja Turtles and I there goes and bear it over this. <laughs> but okay. Look, um, yeah. You no, you. this is one. Again, it's one that I only saw recently as well, so maybe that it needs a bit more time to sit with me, but such an old school engaging courtroom thriller. Like it felt like something that like if someone was like, here's a lot a lost Hitchcock film, or here's like an old film that really hadn't seen the light of day, it feels like you have something that's like, well, we don't get many of these anymore that are this good. Um Sandra Huller is amazing in us. Uh, the fact that she's like jumping from language to language and never feels like believable is really impressive. I also wrote in my own review that I'm like, this is a film that on like, and so much of it, like the way it's presented, you'd be like, oh, it's a very pretentious film. Again, 50 cents PIMP in Steel Drums takes the window. That's it straight away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm driving around in the car with that on and I'm like, hmm, people don't think, this, people think this is weird. Uh, I'll turn that off. Um, but it's such a, a well done effective trailer. Like you said, uh, two and a half hours, it totally flew by for me. Um, I just thought it was uh, something that they keep adding twists without it fe- like stretching the the believability of the film. It was yeah. all things that like rationally that should be asked that you're like, oh geez, why didn't I I think of this? Mm. That argument scene that you mentioned, like it actually felt like the the air went out of the room in the film I was uh, in the screen I was in. It was like whoa, and and what I love is that like it is one of those films where it feels like the character doesn't necessarily change. It feels like the audience just learns more about them and it changes their perception. And I think that's exactly what would happen in a courtroom. So that is why it makes it really interesting. Um, I think some people could be a bit annoyed at some of the ambiguity, uh, but I think that's also what makes it really good. Uh, the the child performance is also amazing uh, in this. Uh, it, it's just a, a real gem of a film. I think it's one that, you know, I, I'm thinking back to my own time in like French classes in secondary where they put on a French film and it's like oh here we're watching Taxi okay this this is something that if they threw on there wouldn't be a single word of French or English spoken and everyone would just be so enraptured yeah um it's it's like crack it's like tr- a, a fantastically tense thriller that uh, knows exactly what it is and keeps mm-hmm. you engaged to the end uh, yeah absolutely loved it definitely think it's going to be higher on my actual top 10 level than I'm like how did that get there <laughs> I love when you talk about something and you're like actually no I really love this uh, and I feel yeah, like actually, we heard that moment I, um, I fucked up <laughs> no 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 I, I, but Turtles is still amazing don't get me wrong I don't judge it in any way um, I loved as well like and, and just I didn't mention there just when you speak about the argument and this isn't a spoiler but it's just a choice by Justine Trier, um that just exemplifies the soft strokes but the genius choices that she made as a director we have that argument but as it escalates now you it is just a, a an audio recording that's played to the courtroom but we see the argument take place but then about halfway through as it starts to escalate to the point that would kind of tip its hat then it goes into audio and then we become we go back to the courtroom and we're so gripped in this argument scene that like to you would think it unthinkable that we would accept going back to the courtroom but it's almost got like a 
you know, it it it's 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 almost it works perfectly. It just fits and like it just it, it just heightens the mystery, but not in a cheap way. It doesn't you never feel like you're taking anything away from us. It feels like it's just making it better, and it's just such a small but simple direction directorial choice. Um, it, it's brilliant. Um, like I said, the only bit of mystery we have left in the show is your number one. So even though we normally would skip to yourself, you've got my number one already. So let's talk about close, which my favorite movie of the year. If you don't know what Close is, it was my favorite movie six months into the year. Uh, it's a movie by uh, Belgian director Lucas Don't. Um, and it was really, really tough, by the way, to choose between this and Anatomy of a Fall. That's what was just wrecking my head. And then every now and then Saltburn is like, I'm here also. And it's like, go away, Saltburn. <laughs> <laughs> what made me choose Close, though, is just the visceral reaction it inspired in absolutely every single person in the screening that I watched it in very much myself included to the point that afterwards I went to the bathroom and in both stalls around me, I'm in the men's, I could hear that kind of quiet man sobbing happen because I think we all just needed a moment. Um, Very similar to, uh, but like a very different theme and reason Uh. Uh, on Colleen Kuhn the second time I brought that up I, lo- I absolutely adored that movie last year but I think we all just need the moment to sit in the cinema and be like holy shit I'm emotional and I just I cannot go out to the world right now but all of us and we all just looked around at each other and we all just appreciated the fact that holy shit we had experienced the moment together and again it's that unifying power of cinema uh, and what that does but again this is this by the way is is, is a sad movie and we'll only watch it if you're in kind of the uh, the right emotional state to kind of deal with it and uh with that if you don't know the plot as well i'll kind of give you the the the, the gist um two young boys growing up together um in belgium in a very kind of progressive accepting area um they're very um they're, they're they're very tactile with each other. They'll kind of you know again not in a not in a sexual way in any way, but they'll kind of play with each other. They'll touch each other. They sleep together. They hug each other in a way that we might be familiar with and challenges the audience in a way to kind of watch. Um, and again, but but again, nobody asks any questions because they're happy. And why would you ask questions of two children that are happy and aren't doing anything inappropriate? And it's just fine. And it's this beautiful friendship that we experience. Then, of course, they go to school. And this reminded me of a French movie that I saw last year, Playground Umond, um, because it reminded me and just traumatized me about how shit school is. Do you know the way everyone said it's the best years of your life? But like when you experience, particularly secondary school, I think, and you get into that stage of like teenagers being dickheads um, and then you're just like, oh, people are horrible. Like, why do people love this so much? Um. But then, of course, the obvious questions start and the obvious jokes start and people start questioning if they're gay. And then they start to have that little drift um, that friends do. And we can all relate to where it's like, oh, I have my friends over here and these are my friends. And I'm, I'm friends with them because I'm interested. And no one's doing any harm here. No one's doing anything wrong. But you just feel the pain of that drift that they have. And then I'm not going to give away what happened, but there's a moment in the movie that's just so breathtakingly shocking that it sucked the air out of the room and left every single one of us flabbergasted. And the most masterful part about this moment is that it happened entirely off screen. And instead we experience it through people learning about it and the consequences of it that make up the rest of the movie. And it's like that age old comparison, a completely different way to kind of reservoir dogs and that you feel like you've seen and experienced it 
firsthand, even though you haven't, you only realize afterwards that you didn't experience it, but the pain you experience in it and everything else is, is very real. And what adds to this is the story of this movie that the lead character is a child actor called Eden Dabrin, Dabrin, I want to say that right, who is a person that writer, director, Lucas don't, um, have you heard this story before? No, this is totally new to me. Okay. He saw him on a train one day when he, and he didn't even hear him. He was listening to some Max Richter in his headphones and he saw him just interacting with his friends. And he said, that's my guy. That is Leo. And he invited him to audition. <laughs> and not only did he nail it, he is the lead in From My Money, the best movie of the year. And that's nothing new. We're used to now at these stages, these regional kind of dramas benefiting from local casting ever since I think City of God became the first kind of iconic movie to kind of use it to its advantage. Um, but usually where it is, is these extras or auxiliary characters uh, to get a few lines uh, and they use actors to kind of carry the leads. This movie's success or failure rests entirely on them Breen's shoulders and it's my favorite movie of the year um i spoke about umond and again it's it's kind of those making you feel those super specific emotions that you'd kind of forgotten or repressed in a lot of cases the really like heightened stress of the schoolyard and how little decisions um you know, get there, but it, it's so much more than Umond offered because it just explores and challenges the audience with themes like young male friendship, having to kind of cope with the world when it casts its kind of judgmental eye on people just existing and being happy and harming nobody. The social pressures that being a teen brings and the damage that even small, the smallest of slights can cause other people and the unfair weight that all of that puts on the shoulders of teenagers who can't even understand themselves or their choices to begin with and never mind deal with the consequences. Close is a masterpiece. It's on movie. It's on, sorry, on movie uh, at the moment. Um, be prepared. It's not like, don't watch this on Christmas day. <laughs> For God's sake, don't watch it on the day of joy. Um, but if you want to watch a great movie over the Christmas period, just prepare yourself. It is very emotional. You are going to ball. It's not necessarily a pleasant experience, but it's an amazing experience. I love, love, love this movie. Tom, talk to me about yeah. your, my number one, your number two. So, I mean, I echo everything you said. I have very few notes written down because it was absolutely a heartbreak movie. And I'm going to peel the curtain back here in a way I don't ever really do on microphone. I'm a primary school teacher. Mm. So I'm dealing with kids. Sometimes I'm dealing with kids who are going into secondary school. And God, this one really broke my fucking heart. Mm. Because you see, I see kids like this. I see kids that are very tactile with their friends. And it's it's such a, an innocent, pure thing that as people get older, does kind of become corrupted and cynical and nasty. And it really broke my heart. Um, it was such an emotional film. Like you said, when it when it ended, I just sat there for a few seconds, just not really knowing how to face the world again. Um, it was such a I mean, the casting uh, is phenomenal. Like this is beyond I would I would say any seasoned actor would struggle to get a performance this good. Um out of child actors, like it really just and again, like you said, these are there's people in our lives that you know, we lose touch with uh, that, that we kind of isolate is the wrong word, but they just kind of fall out of our lives. And we always think like, God, what happened to that person? And sometimes you, you, you hate to think of what could happen. And here it was like, 
it's like the worst some of the worst things that could happen happen in this film to someone and like the fact that as you said all of this is kind of unseen but we see the impact it has on the people around uh for making that decision of kind of breaking away from his friend is so raw like if someone told me this is something that really happened i would absolutely believe it and it absolutely crushed me Mm. as a film it is a beautiful film but like i said if you're not in the right headspace for it it's going to be a hard one for you um and it's something that i just had to kind of sit and think about for so long but yeah it really hit me in such a an emotional place like i would say honestly no film this year even though the number one film is one i preferred Mm overall this is the one that hit me right in the fields um and not in a nice way in such a, a sore a painful way it was it, it's amazing you should definitely go see it on movie um but you know be in the right headspace um because it's it's one of the most devastating films i've seen in a long time uh, but i did love it for what it was and and it's one of those that kind of contradicts what i was saying earlier about a movie that you prefer to watch over everything else and it's mad that this is my number one because again it's exactly. something that I haven't been able to fully face a second time and I will and it's great but it's the emotional impact that it has and you just have to give something that moves you in that way you just have to give it its due because it's not doing it in a manipulative way it's not doing it in a cynical or cruel way it's doing it in just a real way and that's what hurts the most um, amazing movie delighted you're the first person I've actually talked to that has seen <laughs> and loved close as well so yeah. uh, big fan I know I'm doing it with the right person as a result but really <laughs> what intrigues me is I've emptied my, my my gun I don't think we've even talked about um, any, I don't think there's any movie left that we haven't discussed at this stage which leaves your number one a total mystery to me I am <laughs> on the edge of my seat it's here. almost like I planned it um, <laughs> Tom uh, what no, have you got uh, Jesus um <laughs> This is funny because like, you probably have seen this. Film, and I'm like, geez, maybe I should be second guessing. Like, but I think, you know, it goes back to what I said about Close, which is that you often bring your own experiences to a film. Um, and while I couldn't identify with the LGBT sorry, uh, themes in this film, the kind of idea of a teacher being discovered as something, which I guess this is me with the podcast <laughs> and YouTube, which is obviously not as substantial, but I don't want anyone to see you talk about movies where, you know, someone licks cummy bathwater or whatever. Um, <laughs> that could be any movie. No spoilers. That was Oppenheimer. Tur- that was Turtles Oppenheimer. got okay. weird. Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were on about milking, you know, um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, you thought we were high bro. We're bringing it down a notch. Um, <laughs> so, I saw this film um, as a total surprise. I didn't even get a chance to see it in Ireland. I just happened to be in Manchester and there was a film uh, playing. I was like, yeah, I'll check this out. Uh, and that film was Blue Jean. Um, oh, I'm assuming you've seen this. Oh, what a movie. What a number one. <laughs> I don't hate it. I get it, especially with what you've told us about, like, you know, mm-hmm. your job and everything. Um, mm-hmm. What a movie. I, I don't hate it. I, I, I've seen it. It's not in my top 20 but I, I also don't hate it as number one. Um, yeah. Let me try to justify a few more things as well about this, because like um, outside of my own discovery, I've you know dealt with like the, the general plot of this is that there's a, a teacher who is uh, a lesbian and she ends up teaching a student that is also a lesbian. Um, and it's the question of how do they interact? And it's at a time. And this is another thing I really love about movies like this um there was actually another example uh was a preno bailey bond sensor a couple of years ago did this as well where it was like an era of time that i was aware of but didn't fully grasp i didn't realize this kind of thing was going on in england at the time the film was set so i really got loved to get dragged into that world that i was unaware of um but it's a film where i was just really massively touched at 
at what it was trying to suggest because I've I've taught kids who are really you know you can't obviously you don't know idea where the lies are going to go at that age but there's kids that have asked me to to talk to the class or explain to the class about LGBT things and technically are not really meant to because so many churches are so many schools in Ireland are run by Catholic Church but I always try to do my best and here it was like I was like looking at a mirror in some ways where I was like what 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 would I do in that situation? And it's it's such it was such a heartbreaking film at times because you really did feel for the characters involved and and for struggling to remember the actress's name now who was the lead, but she was uh, phenomenal. That was it. She was uh, amazing. And what I loved is that it was a character that like wasn't squeaky clean. Mm. You know, she makes mistakes. There is moments where you're like, oh my god, she's a horrible person. But then it really forced you to kind of, and maybe it was just me with my own experience, it really forced the mirror on yourself. Well, what would you do? Mm. What would you do if you were in this situation? It just really made it uncomfortable uh, for me as a watch. Um, I, again, I said even my first note, I said I could see this being one of my favorites this year. Uh, and it's outside of the, the few films I've removed because they're coming out next year, it is my number one film. Mm. Um, I said a film that's intense really puts you in the shoes of a character who feared their sexuality uh, being outed. Even at times when she was not a good or sympathetic person, uh, excellent performance, a film that looked fantastic, but kind of elegant. I love the, the style of the film. It was really, it's a, basically a very simple film, but I think that's why it worked. And, you know, we talked about Anatomy of Fall, the same thing with that. That is, an, in essence, a very simple movie. It's a courtroom thriller. Did this person kill someone? It works because it really got into the characters. Um, I thought uh, it maybe a little bit glassy eyed by the end. Uh, and I think that I can say that about the first top three films for me. Uh, and I thought it was all credit for... Uh, not having a kind of a sad, depressing ending. And this was a big one for me. Um, I think near this time, I was doing a top 10 list on LGBT films. And I really went back and appreciated this one more because so many gay stories, lesbian stories, trans stories, bi stories, they they end on such a sorry note. And this one didn't. Mm. There was a kind of enough hopefulness that made me feel like, okay, it wasn't all miserable. It, was, it took a time to get there. And it, it made me feel hopeful. Um, and yeah, it really stirred something in me. Again, I think we always bring our own personal connections to a film. Uh, and this was one that really did personally connect with me. So yeah, Blue Jean for me was my number one. Yeah, I, I, I don't hate it. Um, like I said, wasn't in mine, but also I I, I, I get it. I, I get why yeah. you'd see it that way. And it's a very powerful movie. It's a real hidden gem. I, I haven't heard it spoken about. I don't know if I've even thought that much about it myself. Um. But again, like I did love it. I just remember coming out. Uh, of that was actually was interesting because before doing this, I was like, let me look and see where you could find it. You can buy it off Apple. That's it. It's not yeah. on a streaming service. It seems like I don't even think the sites that I normally search to see if there are movies like on, in America, you can't find it at all. Mm. It seems like it's totally been forgotten. And again, maybe I'm just love championing the, the little guy or little girl in this case. Um, but I don't know. It, no, it, was, I can it see. was one that really loved. Like it's something that like because it gets particularly with the teacher thing as well, it gets so specific into that. It gets really mm. into the weeds of it. Um, but it's also just, again, I, I'd echo what you said. I've got no other kind of notes on it um, beyond what you've added, where it's like, it just, it just makes you feel like you're there and makes you feel the prejudice and makes you feel the threat that's around her at all times. There's loads of little things. Like I think at one stage they're watching Michael Barrymore on TV and like, mm. it's just like there, there's another person who like, that's an example of someone who's doing it in front of the entire British public um, mm. and who has to hide itself. And again, but it's not, it's not crass in any way. It never sells yeah. itself short. Um, I Georgia think even Opie, like that, that teacher's relationship as well, like our lead character's relationship with her partner 
is also something I could really identify. Like she mm. is someone who was very insecure in who she is, but then it's like you're looking at a person who's totally confident in who she is and what she is. And I was like, God, I can that was how I was for so long. I was like, man, I wanted to be like this person, but I couldn't do it. And it was like, why can't you do it? And I was like, ah. And that hit me as well. <laughs> great choice. Great choice. Uh, no, 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 it's fantastic stuff. Great list. Really enjoyed that, Tom. Um, yeah. I got to say, nearly two hours, but uh, very two hours well spent as far as I'm concerned. You know what, Tom? How about we do this again sometime? Like, what about if we did it, instead of doing it once a year, what about if we maybe te- did it, I don't know, once a month? Because I'm thinking, so, we're kind of putting, I was chatting to the audience earlier and telling them that, we're going to be finishing up the solo reviews. At least on this show, I may do stuff on socials, unless there's kind of a special occasion where which necessitates it. I want to get into more movie chats, and I've really enjoyed this. So instead of looking back at 2023 on the box next season, what if we look at or on the movies? Uh, what don't we look at January at the movies? And we check in every month and have a chat about the movies we're loving. Absolutely. Hell yeah, man. I mean, two of the films that are not on my list that are redacted come out in January. Okay. So there's Exciting your cliffhanger. Exciting Let's do stuff. this. Tune back in, guys. Tom, uh, and in the meantime, check out Tom at Popcorn Pod on socials as well. You'll find him on YouTube. Check it out. This isn't the last you've heard. You're going to get his uh, updated top 10 list as the year goes on. So follow him on socials. Uh, follow his content. Uh, very, very worthwhile. And you're going to hear much more of him on page 180. Uh, fantastic stuff, Tom. Really enjoyed that conversation. Can't wait to chat more movies with you as time goes on. Thanks for joining us and happy Christmas from page 180. And, and to you, sir. <laughs> That's all the time we have for season one of page 180. Thank you again, guys, for listening. I mean it. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. But don't worry. Like I said, we'll be back with a slightly updated format and some surprises in the new year. Keep your eyes on social uh, for the latest updates as we release them. In the meantime, I will have a special Christmas surprise and a change of pace for subscribers. Uh, so keep an eye out on the feed and socials for that. Uh, it's going to be a change from what I normally cover. Uh, until 2024. This has been Page 180. I've been Jer Leggett. Thanks for listening again. And to be honest, when I found out the patriarchy wasn't about horses, I lost interest anyway. <laughs>